1: Everybody, and Welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. I'm Michael McCall.
2: And I'm Zachary on
1: And we're here to talk about back-to-back, baby. Yes, in that rarity, the Whitecaps have won two in a row. That, from a Whitecaps point of view, is basically like reaching the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, MDS is going to be very, very pleased. And uh, I think the squad is going to be pleased at the progression in terms of the results, for sure, yeah. And and they still still couldn't make the playoffs.
1: Well, right now, they are sitting 7th in the playoffs. Not even in the last spot holding on, they are sitting 7th. Immediately after the game, they were apparently up at 5th. But then other results came in, which I don't know if you've seen the Portland result tonight, Zach. 6-1 win away from home at San Jose. What's happening at RSL? What's happening at San Jose? What's happening at LAFC? I've got a theory about all of that. We'll talk about that later in the show. It's kind of something I spoke to to MLS about. I I put a lot of it down to fatigue. But we'll, we'll, we'll come to that later. Because this is obviously just one of the strangest seasons we're probably ever going to have in our lifetime, or hopefully we're ever going to have, because let's hope there's not going to be another year like 2020. But I mean, nothing says weirdness in 2020 than the Whitecaps winning back-to-back games and winning an RSL, which I believe the last time and the only time they won down there, Zach, you were actually there.
2: Yeah, I think it was the 2015, it was the road trip we did um, where we took in the first... Well, this, sorry. We took in the second and third uh, WFC2 uh, game, away games of the year and then drove home from their RSL game in time to get home for the WFC, T, WFC2 home opener. At, I at, uh, remember
1: Brown. you doing that.
2: Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure it was. I think it was like Russell Tybert set up Darren Maddox for the goal. The memory serves me correctly.
3: Uh,
1: whatever happened to him?
2: No, seriously. Yeah. What happened
1: to him? I don't know. I'm serious as well. I don't know. He had that slight car mishap and then he's kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. You know, I haven't heard anything
2: since then.
1: No. Mind you, that was pre-COVID, right? So Yeah. Everything pre-COVID doesn't count, so I think he's totally safe. It's all good. Oh, should also, if anyone's wondering where Steve is this week, he's on a boat at the moment that hasn't docked. We're hoping it might be able to dock before the end of the recording. But, I mean, you know where it's like, the fog and the smoke. It's very easy to get, get lost out there at sea. So if we don't get him on this week's show, I'm sure we will get Seaman Steve on next week's show.
2: He lives in Port City. Surely he can find somewhere to park his his uh, his yacht.
1: I don't know. You get carried away sometimes on a boat. We have got a lot to talk about. There's two matches, we're not going to dwell too much on the Montreal game from Wednesday, but I do want to to obviously talk about it because there was a a couple of really big talking points coming out of it from, from both sides. From a Whitecaps perspective, obviously, Lucas Cavallini had been suspended for his moment of stupidity on Sunday at BC Place. That got us wondering, would we see Freddie Montero? Well... Not only did we see Freddie Montero, we saw a rejuvenated Freddie Montero. Although, with, with what he was saying after the game in Arizona tonight, this has always been the same Freddie Montero. Nothing's changed with him. It's just he's actually getting to play some games now. Yeah,
2: I mean, I know I said in the last show I don't I don't think he is anywhere near his best. Obviously, uh, these two games are try are, you know he's trying to prove people like me wrong.
1: Well, he's, but, um, he's doing a very good job.
2: Yeah, but I mean, he wasn't—he wasn't in great form last year, like at, like at all. Like the whole year it felt like I don't know. It feels like in retrospect.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if we look at his stats for last year, because I got them up just before we started recording this. So last year, thirty-two appearances, twenty-two of them were starts. He scored eight goals, which is the lowest in any of his seasons in, in MLS. The previous worst before that was ten in his second year with the Sounders, and he only got three assists. Now, to put that in perspective, in his four years with the Sounders, he got seven, ten, nine, and eight assists. Then his first year with the Whitecaps in 2017, he got six. So he only got three in all of last year. This year, in the last two games, he's got three assists.
2: Yeah. How many of those eight goals were penalties, though, too?
1: Mm, that's true. They all count, I believe you told me when I kept going on about that with Pedro Morales.
2: No, no, I'm I just, I'm just saying they do all count. But I mean, it's, when you talk about someone being informed, I think it's something you need to take into account.
1: So I mean, Freddie is is performing great, and so let's just talk a little bit about that performance on Wednesday, just a little bit. We won't delve too much into it. I don't know how much you can really take from it, Zach, because it was against ten men for more than than one half of the match. All the Whitecaps goals came once Montreal had gone down to 10 men. And let's talk about that sending off from Rudy Camacho. Because we tore into Lucas Cavallini for some stupidity on the Sunday. I have no idea what was going through Camacho's head. He, even if he thought Freddie was the guy that hit him. Even if Freddie had said something to him as he was trying to get him up off the ground. To punch him in this day and age with cameras everywhere, with VAR everywhere... And it was a punch, I mean folk are saying Philly went down easy. I tell you, if I got punched in the knee, I'm pretty sure I would go down as well in a in a heap.
2: yeah, I mean, Camacho's gotta know that he's punching a South American player and he's making contact with a South American player, and they're gonna go down easy it's a i mean it's a it's it's a no it's like it's a no brainer that that's what's gonna happen um but yeah, you're right, just the, the whole act in and of itself is is pure lunacy like. I mean, I don't know if it was you, I don't know if it was on our WhatsApp chat or whatever. but it's like, if you really wanted to express your anger, why not stand up, walk outside the penalty box, and then really hit the guy?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Was that you who said that?
1: No, but um, well, that's, so, a very, that's a very good point.
2: You know what I mean? Like, we, at least you wouldn't cost your team a penalty.
1: We, we talk about South American players going down easy and whether Freddie did or not. Let's be honest here. If Freddie hadn't, I'm not sure the referee would have seen it or even looked at it again or if it would have been picked up by the fourth officials or what. I think it's because Freddie did make something off it that they started to look at the situation.
2: Well, technically the VAR people are supposed to be looking at everything. But you're right. Um, Yeah, embellishment uh, can help you sometimes.
1: And then it gave away the penalty. So Freddie stepped up, he buried it and it was 1-0, a couple of minutes later, a fantastic strike from Dahomey, set up by Freddy, ball through the legs of Fanny, love that, made me laugh, and then a great ball from Milinkovic, and like the finish from Dahomey, great finish, and Milinkovic ran about 60 yards to go and celebrate with MDS. And I asked Milinkovic on Friday before this game just about the relationship that he's got with MDS and with everything that he went through at Hull and how much he hated it there and how much he clearly hated the management team there. I think he is just relishing the faith and the trust that MDS has given him to go and be the player that we know he can be from what I know that he can be from what he was at Hearts and from his time before Hearts. And that's what you want. You want to see a player that's playing for your coach. And Milankovic is definitely a player that's doing that. And got the goal again tonight, which we'll talk about in a sec.
2: Yeah, he's come in with uh, some questionable things from his time, especially at Hull. But um, he's proven in Vancouver to be, I think, a a diligent, hardworking, attacking uh, midfielder. And consistency, you know, is maybe a bit of a question. But yeah, I think right now he's in some pretty good form. But, you know, just looking at setting up that goal in the last game and then scoring the opener in in this evening's game.
1: Then the thing with that Montreal game is, even though the Whitecaps had a two-goal lead and a one-man advantage, I felt nervous because this genuinely feels like a team that cannot play A, with a lead, and B, with a man advantage. Have both of them. And I think you've got a bit of trouble. And unfortunately, we saw that again tonight. And that is something that's definitely going to have to get ironed out. But when Montreal pulled that goal back, I was like, oh, no. I just, I was kind of sensing the worst. But I mean, full credit to them. They just knuckled down. They went back to the pit. They got the third goal. Just like tonight, they got the second goal. So, I mean, there's a bit of fight. There's a bit of spark about them. And it was Freddie again. And it just capped off a, a remarkable comeback performance from Freddie. And... I mean, you're coming out of that game talking about Freddie, he's the big talking point, and then starting to think, okay then, does Kava get back in the team? Where does he fit into the team? Do we move Freddie behind Kava? Is that as impactful? Or do we play the two of them together? So there's a lot of questions coming out of that, and we got some answers tonight in that Kava was on the bench. And I think that was the right decision, Zach, because Freddie had to start tonight against RSL. But do you think it was right to not bring Kava in from the start?
2: Well, two things. One, you, you think um, the Colombian I think earned the start based on his performance in the previous game. And when it comes to Kava, despite his uh, the remorse he expressed during the week, I think it was also fair not to start him. Um, not to like send a message but to just say hey, you know, you cost us you served your suspension and then in your next game, you were going to be a substitute before you get back into the starting lineup, whether or not that's, you know, the exact uh, thought process or communication, uh, you know, uh, approach that MDS and his, his staff take. I, I'm not, I'm not sure, but to me, I thought it was like fair. I thought it was, I thought it was fair. I thought it was fine.
1: Yeah. I mean, fantastic stuff by Freddie. You can't leave him out after that. And the interesting thing for me was Kava did not get an additional game ban Whereas Massiel did get an additional game ban. Cava got fined twice. Once for not leaving the pitch and then once for I think hands to face or whatever. I'm very, very amazed that we didn't get that. Finally, the white caps are getting the benefit of having a big name D P.
2: Yeah, that must be what it is, because when you look at those those two, like I know the Massiel one, you could say Yeah, it endangers player safety, but uh, Cavallini's behavior and uh, the hands to the throat or the hands to the face or whatever, to me, like, I'm shocked he didn't get at least, you know, a two-match ban. Um, So, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's MLS just saying, hey, he's a DP and we'll just fine him and it's better for our coffers and and better for for Vancouver in terms of them being able to use him again quicker.
1: Yeah. Plus, when you're a DP, obviously, you're rolling in the in the Garber box, so you, you can afford fines. Last thing I want to mention about the Montreal game, though, was from the Montreal point of view, I did not understand Thierry Henry's substitution policy, team selection policy for these two games. The lack of changes that he made was baffling and i think ultimately it cost him not just points but a place in the canadian championship final i know he has faith in the starting 11 that he's going with and it is clearly his 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 strongest starting 11 but that was some really weird game management by him yeah it, it
2: seemed really foolish especially from someone as experienced in the game as as tt uh i i know you want to um uh, you want to you know build the chemistry you want you, you want to have a starting 11 that you know is a cohesive uterine stuff but in the midst of all that's going on and i I, I would you would have thought you know you, you, you got to change something up in in the, in those in that starting 11 um, even if it's just to see uh, you know what you have in, in the you know deeper parts of your squad that maybe you didn't get to use in orlando or you haven't been able to use since orlando or whatever mm. so yeah it did feel a little bit weird and the white caps you know, to their credit, again, took advantage of that.
1: Yeah, just strange. And I know Montreal fans were not happy for a number of reasons after that one. And especially when you're handing your rival Toronto a, a place in the final, whenever that final may be. That's something we're going to come to in part five. And talking of lineup changes... What is that I hear? Is that a boat docking? I think it is, and we're joined now by salty seaman himself, Steve Pander. Hey, Steve. Ahoy, ahoy, everybody. Oh, I love your little captain's hat that you've got on there. It just adds to this special touch. This is how we're going to be able to travel to all these games in the States for the rest of the, the year for MLS to follow the caps. We're going to have Steve just get us his boat down there. Might be a bit problematic for Kansas, but we'll see how we get on.
4: If you look at my initials, they are the SS Pander. So it does work
1: out that way. But there was another lineup change on, on Saturday night, not just ourselves here in the show. Also, Marta Santos made one change and one change only to the, the team that won on Wednesday night. Out went Theo Bear. In came Ali Adnan, but not in his left wing position. What we've been talking about, what we wanted to see, we mentioned it on last week's show. He played the left midfield role. And Gutierrez, who was outstanding uh, against Montreal midweek, kept his spot happy days, or at least it looked happy days, but that first half, not a lot to write home about, I think that was, and I asked MDS about this after the game, and we'll talk a little bit about fatigue and stuff in part three, but that looked like two tired teams out there that had been playing a lot of games in not a lot of days, and that was a first half The there was just nothing apart from one save from Thomas Assal nothing to talk about
4: it, it felt like the teams were like trying to you know, feel it seemed like the teams were, had, hadn't haven't seen each other for a long time and they were trying to feel each other out and that's where I think the that that you know I don't know if <laughs> it seemed like they were afraid that each other each team had COVID or something that's what it felt like they they wanted to stay away from each other and, and, and they wanted to keep their separation so um you kind of you're going to kind of expect that I think a little bit because teams have been, it's it's kind of a weird season so far because you haven't seen each other even when you're in Orlando you haven't maybe been in the same groups so you mm. kind of kind of don't have the same familiarity so I think that kind of has a big difference there. Yeah, I was just
2: going to say that there was the one nice save from Hassal in the first half, but you're right uh, the the quality of play you know left a lot to be desired.
1: At that point, I kind of well, I mean, RSL to me, I mean, it felt like they maybe had the quality to, to lift themselves and they did come out strong at the start of the second half. But then it's like it almost felt like from nowhere. But again, we talked about the fighting spirit of the of the White Caps um on, on Wednesday night. I mean they came back from being a little bit under the caution the opening minutes of the second half to take the lead in the fifty third minute. And the the Colombian connection, I'm trying to get that going as a hashtag Christian Dahomey to Freddie Montero. Freddie Montero cuts the ball back for David Milinkovic, who scores his first goal as a white cap, capping off what has been a, a couple of outstanding performances for the Frenchman. I and mean, we actually, we were talking a little bit about that, Steve, just before you jumped on. So, I mean, just get your thoughts of, of what you've thought of Milinkovic over the last couple of games and the goal tonight. I
4: think he. I, it seems like he's found some kind of inspiration. I don't know if it's the new kid. Like they had the video of the new kid, uh, him with his, uh, his new son. Yeah, and it's and it was a very cute video. But it seems like he's been inspired by him or something like that. And maybe that's something that that happens for players when they have somebody like a a, a newborn that comes mm. into their life. Uh, it didn't happen for me, in particular. No offense to my kids, but uh, but it seems to have like generated some kind of, like, level of inspiration for him and he's 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 turned up at another level.
2: It's amazing
1: for him. But, I mean, at that point, 1-0 Whitecaps, you still thought, I fancied RSL, we're going to get back into it. But then we were always talking about the, these game-turning moments and the 63rd minute, Kyle Beckerman, well, first of all, Thomas Sassau spills a, a ball which... It's concerning that he spilled a couple of these now in, over, over the games, but they've not proved costly, so I mean, that, there's a plus. He was quick to recover it, but then as he went down to smother it, Beckerman goes for the ball, but follows through Lucas Cavallini style. I'm pretty sure this was gave, giving Cava some flashbacks to, to, to last Sunday as well. It got sent to VAR, Beckerman picked up a second yellow, which meant a red, and then the veteran w- was off.
4: Yeah, and uh, like I think uh, Zach, you were mentioning, can they review for even yellow cards? But the thing is, is they can, like the person in the VAR could have mentioned that it was a straight red, mm-hmm. and they could they can review it for that. But then if they don't feel it's a red, they can still uh, uh, give the per- player a yellow, and that's obviously obviously what happened there. I think it was this. I think a person with a straight red, um, the way he went in there, but uh, but. You know, even if it's a yellow, obviously, it was the second one. So, like, like Cavallini in, in your case, like the way you mentioned, Michael, um, it was uh, the second yellow and, and the red card, and he's off. And obviously, at that point, I was thinking that the caps are in danger because they're a man up. Uh, but <laughs> – and obviously, it kind of came through it for a little bit there. Yeah,
2: no, I know. I don't question the, the logic of it. I just – I thought there were some pretty specific things that we could or could not uh... – that VAR could or could not do to impact the game and I thought yellow cards was was one of those but yeah to me like it makes sense like and yeah he made contact with the, you know the keeper's head so yeah, i guess yeah steve arguably you could say he could be sent off for for that in of itself um,
4: i think i think i saw it in a, a world cup game i can't remember the specific game but it might have been even uh uh was it portugal versus iran where um, it was Ronaldo making a specific uh, uh, you know, play, and they reviewed it, and they gave him a yellow instead of a red, even though they reviewed it for the red card. And so I think that's, that's where I saw it in the World Cup. I think I remember that, actually.
1: It was a lot for me, like the Cava one, in that when I first saw it, I thought, I don't think it was that bad. But when you see it from a different angle, and it's like, he definitely didn't need to do that. And it's a shame because Beckham has done a couple of stupid things and had a couple of settings off. He booted the ball at the referee that that got him a a red card earlier this year as well. So on my East 5 podcast, we actually did an interview with Kenny Duker, who is an East 5 legend, played over in Scotland, but also had a stint. He spent a season here with RSL. And we do on the show, we get them to pick their all-time best team that they've played with and he had his goalkeeper Nick Romando from his time at RSL but he also put in Kyle Beckerman and he spoke about the, the talent that this guy had and that he could have easily have gone and done big things in Europe and stuff like that it, it feels maybe now though that Beckerman maybe wants to call it a day because he's looking at a shadow of the Beckerman that we saw in this league even two seasons ago but Whitecaps up a goal Upper man, what could go wrong? Well, find out exactly what did go wrong after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos
5: Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM and kicking off this part it's this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN from Falkirk, Scotland Arab Strap with a song from their second album Philophobia that was Here We Go from 1998 and I thought we're all in a nice upbeat mood at the moment why don't I take the mood down with a little bit of Arab Strap? Because if anything's going to take the mood down, it's Arab Strap. I love my depressing music. That's that's pretty much what you could say that was. But I tell you what, was not depressing. The Whitecaps' result tonight down in Sandy, Utah, and we're going to delve into this part, looking at the rest of the game. Some of the talking points coming out of it. We'll hear a little bit of audio from from both head coaches. So we set it up before the break there, the Whitecaps were up a man, they were up a goal, what could possibly go wrong? Well, it lit a fire under RSL getting out, sending off from Betterman and they were looking at a different team after that, they took the game to to the Whitecaps, the Caps felt like they just didn't know how to play, they were playing so deep they were really struggling to get just out of the final third in their half and when they did get some quick sprung, they looked dangerous, but it was trying to get those sprung the, that was just not happening. And I, I sensed and I actually tweeted that they're struggling here and it feels like they're going to give up a goal. And about a minute to two minutes later, that's exactly what happened when Aris Hill tied it up. Beautiful ball to the back post by Michael Chung. Waiting there. Justin Miram. Heads home. I mean, finished well, rose well, headed past Hassal. I feel Jake Norwinski could have done better. And you're thinking, oh boy. Uh, They've gone and given a goal up against 10 men, against a team that had just been hammered the week before. Obviously, Mark said after the game, it was a team that basically felt at that point they probably had nothing to play for, so they may as well go for it in front of their home fans. But you're thinking, this is just unravelling pretty quickly from a Whitecaps point of view.
4: Yeah, I, I, I think that Jake, um, I feel like he, it's almost like, a, I don't know what you want to call it, like a deja vu where he felt like he had to play in deep to the center back. Yeah, the, maybe he felt like Andy Rose was playing in that position because he seemed like he was playing a little bit too close to the center back. And, and he just, I, I don't know if he just misjudged the ball coming in or there was something else, but he seemed to move in a little bit too further Uh, like into the center. And then he kind of realized the ball was coming to the far post. And then he kind of backed up. And I think it was just a misjudgment. So I don't – definitely it would be – you could classify it as his fault because he should have been where he was. But overall, I don't think it's – like I think it was just a misjudging. So no big deal considering they won the game. Sorry, spoilers.
2: There's a lot a lot of things that went wrong on the goal. You're right that Jake really needed to do better. Uh, I think Thomas O'Sall did very poorly on the goal as well. But the whole thing starts with a breakdown between uh, you know, Gutierrez and Ali Adnan. Um, as Gutierrez plays a pass up to Ali Adnan up the wing, Ali either doesn't know it's coming or doesn't – like he doesn't go to the ball. He's waiting for it to come to him and it gets intercepted and then the play comes back the other way. And uh, the the you know Gutierrez doesn't do great either to, to you know cut out the cross or, or you know create a bigger obstacle for that. And um, yeah, I mean if you're if you're Salt Lake, you're you're very happy. If, if you're if you're Vancouver, I'm sure that all the coaches are gonna have lots to talk about and break that down
4: uh, in their preparation for their ne-
2: their next game because a lot of people did a lot of things wrong.
4: And, yeah, and that's, I think, you're 100% right there because, you, you know, everybody's going to see that, you know, people are going to watch the highlights and they're going to see that it's Jake's man that got the goal. But you don't always see the stuff that happens beforehand that leads up to the goal. So 100%, I agree with you there, Zach, that, that you have to look at the whole play and what happens prior to the play, even 10-15 seconds before the play, oh, yeah, that can cause like, that goal.
1: Freddie also didn't track Krylatch very well. He kind of just sauntered back where it's Kry- Krylatch was was ahead of him to to set the, the play up to begin with.
4: I I prefer not to have Freddie back in the box because that can lead to a penalty too. Yes. So you don't. We don't yeah, rid-
1: he's wasted back there anyway. But you talked about Ali there, and there was another example in the half. Actually, it was in the first half where Bikel ended up getting the booking and that all stemmed from Ali just not putting a tackle in and just just he looked out of sorts in the first half and MDS actually said post-game that Ali was really struggling with the altitude in that first half he kind of got a bit more adjusted as the game went on and I guess it is something a lot of players I mean I, I, I spoke about Interviewing Kenny Duker for my East Five podcast, we also interviewed uh, another Scottish guy that played for East Five, Tam McManus, who played in Colorado. And they both said how difficult it was when they first got to play in an altitude, and they thought they were dying when they were running. So, when you've just arrived yesterday and you've not had a training session on the pitch, and it's something you're not used to playing at, I'm actually surprised the players did as well as they did out there.
4: Yeah, but there, I, I remember. I think it was talking to, I think it was Martin Rennie. Back in the day, and they were, I was talking about altitude. It was probably Colorado. I was asking about, and he goes that sometimes you want to go there just the day before because then you don't get in the player's mind. Because sometimes it's more of a mind game than anything that the altitude is going to play such an effect on you. So I think that's that's probably what's the case. That so I think I, I think it was Martin Reddy, because almost uh, it was almost uh, a number of years ago when I asked him about that.
2: Yeah, with the altitude, what you want to do is one of two things: you want to. Uh, go in as early and get help your your body get acclimatized to it, or you go in as close as you can to kick off. So you're, you again, your body just kind of goes out and does its does its thing. And yeah, I, I think I've heard both Martin Martin Rainey and Carl Robertson say that in the past.
1: So at this point, it's one all, and you're thinking it's going to be disappointing just to get a point, but it's going to be even more disappointing if they come out of this with nothing because I thought RSL's fired up here, but again. As we talked about with that Montreal game, where Montreal pulled a goal back and you were worried, at least the Whitecaps were leading in that one. In this one, they're level. But both games, the Whitecaps showed the fight and the passion to go back up the field, to get the job done, to get the goal that was going to like seal the points on Wednesday and win the game here. And it was a, another excellent goal with some excellent build-up work. And it starts off with Michael Baldissimo. An absolutely sublime cross-field ball from Baldy. From his own half, finding Freddie Montero. Freddy cuts it across the six-yard box for Cava to slide in between two RSL defenders in the back of the net. 2-1. You saw what it meant to Kava. If, after everything that happened, I asked him after the game if he felt that was a bit of redemption and he said, yeah, I got my vengeance. And I, I'm delighted for him, actually, because... Yep, everyone piled on him on Sunday for that bit of stupidity. He showed today why he's here. And we'll talk in a little bit about just like Cavallini and Montero and what they can bring together as a package to the team. But it was a great goal. First of all, though, let's talk about that ball from Baldy. I think he should be starting. I 100% agree. I don't think anything I've seen from him. He's
4: essentially the Orange Cassidy of the Whitecaps right now. He should be there at the top of the care. And he get it over to like a Chuck Taylor. Chuck Taylor puts it in for Tread Baretta. Tread Barretta puts it right into the net. Best friends forever. That's yeah. what you're looking at right there. That's, Zach is shaking his head because he has no idea what a talking Yeah, about. I mean, if, you, if you're wanting a street fight, <laughs> that's good go money. with these guys. These three guys are the ones you want to go with. No but, no, but seriously, Baldissimo has shown time and time again that he's made the great He makes the great passes. It's like switches, um, balls up the field. You want to see buildup through the pitch. But if you can get somebody that can get the ball up the field faster, why not go for it? Like, you know, you could could dink and dunk and, you know, ticky-tacky, whatever you want, up the field. But if you can hit a ball to somebody perfectly like that, to Freddie Montero, why not do that? And he put it right into the path of Cavallini. Cavallini had work to do, but he was – able to do that's what you want you want your bulldog to be there in the middle to you know knock the ball into the net and yeah maybe if nick ramondo was still in the net maybe he would have stopped it but no he's not there anymore so uh yeah i
2: i I fully agree with you guys like i know they wanted to get bickle into this game Mm -hmm. but i was surprised that you know baldy wasn't next to him and that they went with with Rusty um instead again uh, no not to you know speak negatively of Rusty because I think Rusty has his place in the, in the team, but uh I think Baldissimo has shown that he is i think in in not not only has the abilities but probably is in the best form of everyone in that central midfield and and on top of that it's 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 not just he's in good form he's someone who actually contributes to the attack like in like in every game he, in every game he does, especially. It, with his long-range passing the, the, that diagonal ball he played to the Colombian was like I don't know one of the best passes from a white cap
4: all year yes. and the, and, the, and there's no hesitation there's no hesitation yeah, at all totally. in his pass the way he makes it he he figures out what he wants to do he hits it and he makes the right pass yeah in the future in, in future games in the in this year or maybe next year he'll make a bad pass but he can we've seen that he can make that pass you got to let a player play and be able to make those passes in order for him to. Like you were talking about one of the best passes. That's, I compare that to a Pedro Morales pass.
1: Yeah. I, I,
4: when you first started up.
1: The very first game when he came on at BC Place, that sticks in my mind. It was a cross field ball. But you've also, though, got to give credit to Freddie for getting on that, bringing it down, making something happen with it as well. But for a young lad like that to have that vision, and to know that's exactly where Freddy's going to be. I mean, they might have worked a lot on this in in training. I I did get, there was a tweet came in from friend of the show, Rick Halland at Halas777, who says, I swear we're allergic to short passes. I'm so tired of the long, hopeful kick. And I get why people would think that, but if they all come off like that, Hey, let's just have long hopeful kicks. No, but, that, but but that's the thing. That wasn't a hopeful. I know. Kick. I know. It was that was tailored to for free to run on But even the hopeful, free. you know, the
4: hopeful kick. You need to do those sometimes because you need to keep the uh, the the backline honest. Otherwise, the backline is going to be pushed up the field, and they're going to be waiting for those uh, those short passes to get up the field. So you got to keep them honest. You got to. Throw that long ball once in a while to keep them. Make sure that they know that they're they are going to have to backtrack really quickly. So they, you keep them on their toes. Um, it's it's kind of like um, I know I know Zach's not going to like this comparison, but it's kind of like American football where you have to throw that long bomb down the field in order to open up the middle of the field so you have that space basically in between the the you know the defenders and whatever you want the midfielders. No, no, I like the pigskins, pig okay.
2: But again, talking about the Colombian, it, it was he did well. And uh, I know I know you guys haven't talked to him in a little while in person, so. But we do know that he's not talking about anything. he has two years left on his deal. So in one sense, he's doing a really good job at playing for his next contract.
4: Yeah, if he plays like this, he's going to get another two-year deal, hundred yeah. percent from somewhere. Now, maybe not for the Whitecaps, but definitely somewhere else.
1: Well, he said after the game he feels he's in his prime and this is the best that he's been in his career. And I don't know if you guys saw his Instagram. It. He he did a picture of his heat map and his stats from Wednesday's game with just resume over it. So he's he's playing for a deal somewhere, whether here or wherever, and quite right. Look, if he wants to earn a contract somewhere by playing out of his skin and taking us into the playoffs, knock yourself out, Freddie. I'm all for it. Would I like him here again? Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I like Freddie.
4: I think you should complete the Cascadia trifecta and go to Portland. <laughs> Or go to San Jose. You could open up coffee shops across. You know, go one year to Portland. Go one year to San Jose. You open up a coffee shop here. You go up a coffee shop there. You fuck. It, you yeah. spread it out a little bit.
2: You forget that some of the clubs in Cascadia they have they have uh, ideals that they'll live out when it comes to players from those other clubs. There's no. There's no way Portland would ever bring the Colombian to play for them ever.
1: I I genuinely would keep him here for. For another season. I think he's probably going to want a two-year deal. He might only get offered one here. We're jumping way ahead of that. Anyway, the White Caps won three points, back-to-back wins, three wins out of the last four, and it takes us to seventh place in the standings on 15 points from 12 games. We're ahead of both LA teams. Houston, Salt Lake. And San Jose Earthquakes, who I don't know what's happened to them, but they're currently sitting on a minus 16 goal difference, having given up 33 goals in 12 games. But that was our thoughts on the Whitecaps winning RSL. Let's hear a little bit now from both head coaches. So first of all, we're going to hear from RSL's Freddy Juarez, who wasn't a happy man on the sideline during the game. Let's see if he was any happier after the game. And then we'll hear from the gaffer himself, MDS.
3: What can be said for dominating just about all facets of the game but finding yourself down a goal again this season?
6: Yeah, it's, um, you know, a little you know, frustrating, right? You, you, I thought the first half we, we dominated, like you said, but it was a little too slow um just not aggressive enough so we you know we we, uh which is you know two things happen one they gain a little bit of life potentially uh they feel like they're in the game which is okay but then you got to make sure that you don't give up uh goals like 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 we did that you continue to keep going and keep going and and not give up anything cheaply until until it lands Uh, some of these games are are tough uh because the opponent uh, is 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 playing for a result, right? And and if they if they can sneak one, and you give them an opportunity to sneak one, they will. But um, yeah, uh, again, I thought you know, like you said, we controlled a lot of facets, but I just didn't think it was aggressive enough till after we went down a man almost. Um, but again, you know, two two red cards in the last two games. Uh, we're better than that. We're more mature than that, and we'll 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 get after it.
0: Freddie, you mentioned the uh, the two red cards. Is that something that you have to just kind of address with the team to maybe be a little bit more disciplined in situations where they could
7: lead to a red card? Or is that just something that you kind of just shake off game to game?
6: Yeah, I'm going to have to address it. I'm going to have to address it because it's, it's not – it's not a, that's not us. And, you know, it was a little bit unlucky. It wasn't anything vicious today. It was a second yellow, and, you know, I don't – you know, so it's not like it's a discipline thing. I, you know, I even the one last week with Douglas. I thought Douglas gets someone pushed on him, and then he reacts with stretching his arms on it. I get it, contact to the head, red. But you know, it's not a disciplinary thing. It's just you know, the heat of the moment. We kind of uh, today it's a it's a second yellow, and I know Bex Vex knows better than that. He knows he's 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 a professional. He feels bad about it. We'll we'll mention it, and we we just got to be mature and. We, that wasn't a promo of ours last year. So we got to make sure that we, we get back to just containing ourselves in, in situations, not putting ourselves in those situations when we're, we have a yellow ready. We just got to be a little bit smarter.
5: I felt that in the first half, uh, we were a little bit uh, disconnected in the midfield. Uh, what I mean by that is our white players uh, didn't connect uh, overall well with the midfielders. And when Rusnak and... Krylach were coming in pockets, they were creating problems uh, to us and we left a little bit too much in those moments, uh, Rusty and, uh, and Bikel alone dealing with numbers there. We were able to, to get out of the first half uh, with the 0-0. We had two good half chances, especially one from Freddie where it's a great block uh, from, from their defender. Um, then uh, I felt we came on in the second half better. Uh, we, we, we scored the first uh, goal in a great play. Uh, and then when the red card comes, it, it's so tricky. Uh, in, in soccer, a red card doesn't mean that everything's under control. You then have a team that has nothing to lose. You have a team that is home and came from a 5-0 uh, home loss, so they have absolutely nothing to lose. They want to go at everything and and you, we felt a little bit of fatigue in some moment, but we were able to react well. Uh, Salt Lake when they did the 1-1 dropped a little bit, gave us a little bit more the possession. We were able in a very good play again to score uh, the 2-1 and then What I have to say is, did I like the moment that we have to suffer to get the three points? No. But did I like the fact that after three games in eight days and travel and recovering so fast, coming and see a group of players that fought so much to stay with the three points and give everything they had, they were They were, the the, the attitude to keep the win was very good. Um, We suffered to get it, but it was very good, the attitude. And that's what I told the team. I said, it's not going to be nice or or run being on the road for two months, playing 12 games on the road because our home games are not home games. And and to get the, the most important thing is how can we get results and the, the, personality and attitude of the players were very good.
2: Obviously, this is the first time you've had back-to-back wins all season. You talked the other day about wanting to go back-to-back-to-back and even more than that. What does getting two in a row do for this group at, at such a challenging time in the schedule?
5: Belief. Belief. Let's not forget it's still three out of four. After a period where you lost three in a row in the East, only a group with a strong mentality could react like that. Groups with, with weak mentalities don't respond to that. So only groups with strong mentalities. At the end, it's three wins out of four. And, uh, and we have to understand that what's coming next is still hard. It's still a challenge. We have to be strong and, and, and keep going.
1: So the gaffers there, Freddy Juarez and Mark DeSantos. So a couple of things that Mark mentioned there. I mean, he was asked by Gemma how he felt during that nine minutes of stoppage time. And one of the quotes of the night from him, because there's another good one as well. I'm 43 and I'm going to be 61 after that game because he just felt stoppage time went so, so slowly. He said he was looking at his watch and it's like, how is there still four minutes to go? I felt like that watching that on the couch as well.
4: There are a number of MLS games that I feel like were, you know, <laughs> only three minutes, four minutes went by. But yeah, I was surprised the nine minutes, they added nine minutes, but I guess that, you know, they had the, the break there, but, I'm surprised. Like I feel like every time the Whitecaps are in the league going into stoppage time, there's still going to be a lot of minutes. So I'm not always mm. su- fully surprised about the minutes that I get added on. Freddie Juarez, I was going to ask. Did he sound like he was going to break any printers or print any printers? No,
1: or those print days are sadly gone, dynamic. Yeah.
4: Uh,
2: different ta- Different times in Salt Lake. Um, they, they. Uh, I mean, there there was the the long like two at least good two minutes stoppage for when Hasaga kicked in the head. Yeah, um, so there, there was some, some, some considerable time. But yeah, nine minutes did, did feel mm. or did seem a little bit excessive. It's, it's always awkward when you're watching a game. You're like, oh, we're going into the 100th minute. And you're like, and there's not even you know extra time and penalties coming. But
4: the thing is, with the 100th minute, that's when Kai Kamara scores most of his goals.
1: True. But are we doing it for another club? Off to Minnesota. I'm sure we'll talk about that in the next part as well. Got a tweet in from EskyBuller92 who says, The Whitecaps have quickly figured out a winning formula. Get the other team to take a red card. He feels that is probably not sustainable though. But MDS was asked after the game about, that's two two wins in a row, two games where your opponents have had a, a player sent off. What are you putting that down to? And you'll like this one, Zach. He said... He prays for it before every game. And obviously his prayers are getting answered.
2: Oh my, that's, a, that's an interesting response.
1: Um, he was cripping. Yeah.
2: Um, no, I mean, th- 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 that's very true. Th- and we've said this in the past, there's a number of things from the, what the Whitecaps have been doing over this last little bit that aren't rec- replicable. And, and obviously having your opponent have a player sent off would be one of them. However, to their credit there are a number of things that they have been doing that are reckable you know you know they are repeatable you know that they can continue to do um and so i think these last couple games you've seen them uh i think work hard and work for each other and stick to the game plan um more than we have you know in what has been a chaotic 2020 and i think then we saw a lot in 2019.
4: Yeah, and it seems like they 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 have a good mixture of players now. I don't want to say that the in Bal Mwang was uh, the 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 player that maybe didn't fit, but it seemed like that some of the players that they had earlier didn't really fit into the system. Like for, personally, for me, Ali Adnan and a left back in this system doesn't work, but a left wing it does work, and that's why I would like to see that more often going forward. Like keep continuing that. So so that's what like sometimes the system doesn't work with the players, even though you think you. – they they are the right players for the system. I think the players have rallied since that game in Toronto, right? Where they had they had a, the
2: team meeting, you know, with the coaches, and they had a meeting on their own. For the most part, they have they've really rallied since that. Um, now, whether that's their uh, they're more committed or they realize that they're playing for their current job or for future, you know, contracts or whatever, um, but it there has been a bit of a turning point.
1: That's a that's a good point, actually, Zach. Because yeah, often it just needs. These clear the air meetings and the senior guys to stand up and go, What the hell is going on with you guys? We need to get this this sorted. Whatever, whatever was said, it's worked. Whatever's happening, it's worked.
4: It, it seems like it seems like it worked, but the problem is that then you have that Montreal game where they like they everything <laughs> collapses like a Lucas Cavallini loses it. And you're thinking, did that actually talk, team talk work? Or was it just an aberration? But now, after three, four games, yeah, now it seems like it is working. Maybe that one game was in, you know, uh, the the, the uh, one outside the normal box was going on. Maybe he just lost it for that one game, but everything else is working out well.
1: But, I mean, we're saying that it's working, but, I mean, I'll read you this tweet from Canna Paoli who said, Win or lose, they look like crap. Lucky to win against a very, very mediocre 10-man RSL side. It looked like the Caps played with 10. And, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a great performance. I've talked about, I don't care, just as long as you grind out a win. It doesn't feel sustainable, but we're going to be facing teams that's going to be, have some players playing on fumes, basically, because uh, these games are coming up every three or four days.
4: But And the thing is, 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 is like, I can't remember, like I didn't watch every uh, San Francisco Deltas game uh, back in the day. You didn't? But even, no, I didn't. But they, they, the, the games, you, the highlights you see and the games you see, like I watched a lot of highlights after, they weren't the you know, the most spectacular team, but they won a championship. Mm-hmm. Ottawa wasn't, the back when MDS coached them, they weren't a spectacular team, but they won a championship. So, you know, that kind of has a, 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 a theme there where they do, they're not going to play the most beautiful game, but they do get results now. The thing is, is in the MLS, you need to have that higher level of talent in order to get those results, where you don't need those in other the lower leagues. But so that so that that's where the difference is here. But they do have those moments where you know they're not playing the great, but they get the results.
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I can't remember if we talked about this earlier on WhatsApp or, or not, or when, or was another conversation I was having. But like, yeah, the. This was not like a pretty win. Like the game as a whole was not like a great game to watch. The goal, uh, the goals, especially the, the win match winner was, was you know was nice. And if you're from Salt Lake, the other one was you know okay, but uh, or their goal was okay. But like the game itself was not really great. But again, what's most important is is winning and getting the th- and getting the three points, which I know we know we all know Michael's in, totally in favor of. However, football and MLS is more than is more than just the results. Now, you know, because you, you need to draw people in. You need to engage people. You need to make people, you know, fall in love with your club and want to want to passionately follow it. Um, or at least most MLS clubs do. Maybe the, maybe some don't. Um, but um, but because it's a pandemic year, this is really different. Because in one sense, it doesn't matter if people aren't playing. I mean, Salt Lake, we talked about their 4,000 capacity or whatever, and they only drew 3,400. But... You know, for Vancouver, you can't—they can't have anyone in the stadium. So, does it matter how the how they play? As long as they're getting, you know, getting the result. I think if you ask MDS, I think he would be like, "I I don't care that it wasn't champagne football. We we got the three points we need that put us into a playoff spot again." So, for right now, I think it, it 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 serves it's it serves its purpose and it's fine. It's more long term. What you you know, what you want to do, where you want to go as a football club, when you have to ask ask some of those deeper questions.
1: That's all we're going to kind of break down the game. We'll we'll take a little break now, and we'll come back in the next part just to to look at some of the Whitecaps news that that's come out this week, but also just a, a couple of things about moving forward and chat about the, the kind of possible Cava mentera partnership going forward as well. So we will be back with that after this.
7: Hi, I'm Lucas Carlini. You're listening to the AFT Soccer Show.
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the first of tonight's three of a kind songs. For anyone that's a new listener, or if you just need a refresher, at the starts of parts three, four and five, we'll be playing you a song that is connected to each other in some way. Your job over the next couple of parts is to work out A, what the connection is, and B, if you can work it out after the first two songs, what might the third song be? So we've kicked off tonight's Three of a Kind with a song from 1991 from AFTN favourites Half Man Half Biscuit Everything's AOR from McIntyre, Threadmore and Davit album and I won't go into too much about the lyrics there but all I'll say is the lyrics are a big, big clue to what this week's link is and it was something I used to do myself as a kid I'll explain more in part five. But let's get back into the football chat now, back into the Whitecaps chat. And we're going to, like, unpack a couple of things in this part about the Whitecaps going forward, in all senses of that, what the future might hold in store games-wise, and also moving forward in an an attacking sense. Because we've seen in RSL a great budding partnership between Lucas Cavallini and freddie montero and we'll talk about them in a sec but first of all i want to play some of the post-game audio from the pair of them where they're just talking about their friendship their partnership what they bring to, to each other on the pitch some interesting stuff there and if you're a whitecaps fan i genuinely think it's it's pretty exciting to to hear this the relationship that you've got with freddie off the pitch do you feel we're now starting to see the benefits of that on the pitch
7: yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's an honor to play with uh, such a quality player. Uh, to me, is the most talented on the team. You could you could say that. A um, lot of experience, obviously playing in Europe. Uh, um, being a goal scorer, you know, it's 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 great to play alongside him uh, because he, obviously our relationship off the field is good, but on on the field we know we know each other well and. And today we did a lot of interesting stuff together and, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's good to work with Freddie.
0: Uh, your partnership with Freddie Montero, uh, why do you think it's been so successful in such a small sample size? And do you think you guys can kind of, you know, form a formidable duo where you guys kind of carry the team's offense going forward?
7: Yeah, like I said, with Freddie, we have a, we have a good relationship on and off the pitch and not only does it come from only us too, it comes from the team and the support from our, our teammates and, uh, and and the, the, the good attitude they showed today uh, going forward. Hopefully we continue to be like this. Uh, Freddie, Freddie knows me well, Freddie, me, me and Freddie, uh, we try to, uh, you know, practice a lot together, train together, uh, trying to recognize, trying to memorize uh, each other's runs and uh, positions on the field. So, we're always like a step, a step ahead of our, 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 the other team.
1: Looking at the relationship you've got with Kava, he spoke very highly of you there just, just now. I know the, the two of you are, are friends off the pitch. Can you just speak a little bit about just the relationship you have both on and off the mm-hmm. pitch? Kava talked about he's kind of trying to memorize what runs you make and everything like that. It certainly looks like the beginning of what could be a very fruitful partnership for the team.
7: Kawa is a great guy. Uh, we we created that connection outside of uh, the field. And I see myself on him when I was that age, hungry, you know, to get some goals and show what he's capable of. And, of course, he had the talent, you know, to play in, in another league in Europe. I, I believe that he's looking forward to it. Uh, we just need to help him. Uh I've been in his shoes when you don't get service, when you don't get the ball. But now I'm in a different role in this team. And I'm happy to help him, you know, to get his uh, high level. Because if he's good, the team is going to be good as well. So I'm happy for him.
1: So Lucas Cavallini and Freddie Montero there, just chatting about their on- and off-pitch relationship. So Cava said after the game that it's it's an honour ...to play with a a player like Freddie Montero. He says to him he's the most talented man on the team... ...with experience playing in Europe, being a goal scorer... ...and he says it's great to play uh, alongside of him. And he said that that the relationship off the field is good... ...and that on the field they know each other so well... ...and that Kava's been trying to memorise the kind of runs that Freddie does... Um they practice together a lot. They train together a lot. Now, obviously both of them did not go down to Orlando. So they were here training. And I do feel that that bond has, has really kind of helped him and kind of built up this relationship and this partnership. And I'm genuinely excited to see what these two can do together on the pitch in a white cap shirt.
4: Yeah. And sometimes the, the, the connection doesn't have to be on the pitch. Like it doesn't, it can be built off the pitch. Where you have that connection, and then you can't translate that on the pitch. So I think that that probably has a lot to do with it. Um, I'm just—it's just hard to see where it fits. Obviously, in this kind of situation, that you know, it's late in the game. They brought Cava on, and everything like that. So that's understandable. But to start a game, do you do you want to play Montero in that number ten spot, like behind the striker, maybe on a secondary striker? Do you want to do that, or do you want to have somebody who's more of a midfielder? And that's the question where you got to f- figure out if the two midfielders behind Montero, if you do do that, are they able to control the play? Like if it's a, a Tybert and a Bikel like today or a Tybert and a an Owusu or something like that, is that going to be good enough? Or do they have to play both Owusu and a Bikel, And will that be good enough? So mm-hmm. it's a matter of figuring out this time where the fit is if you're going to play Montero behind Cavalini. Or do you do you go a flat four four two, And does that give you a better shot of what you're looking for. Because in, I think in the past, four four two has probably been their worst, what they have the worst for
1: record-wise
4: when they play a four four two, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Definitely. I mean, I, I tweeted out tonight. For me, th- th- this would be the most exciting Whitecaps lineup. And I think it would be a one that could get a lot of points done. So we won't look at the defense. So you've got Keeper back four. So then you've got a three-man midfield of Tybert, Bikel and Baldissimo. Then in front of them, you've got the three of Dahomey, Montero in a kind of 10-roll, and then Milinkovic on the the other wing. And then up front, you've got Lucas Cavallini. That would be exciting. The only problem with that is that is a 4-3-3-1 formation, which needs 12 players on the pitch, and we're apparently not allowed to do that.
4: Not at this point, but you never know what happens with MLS. Maybe you can offer some tam or gam to somebody and you can get mm. that 12th player on.
1: But like in, in all seriousness, an attacking front four off that, Kava, Montero, Dahomey, Milinkovic, that is exciting. And that can do a lot of damage in the league. And I asked MDS about that after the game. And, and here's what he said about that. You talked there about the midfield disconnect that that you saw in the first half. In the second half, and just in the last two games, the the front four, if you wanted to look at that, of a kind of Cavallini, Montero, Dahomey, Milinkovic looks a very exciting prospect. But to be able to get them on the pitch would appear to leave more chance of a midfield disconnect. I mean, how, how do you address that to get the players you want actually on the pitch?
5: Yeah, it's a good point. Uh you also have to take a little bit of risk, Michael. You have to, you know, in, in soccer, if you take away something, you lose in another side, then, you know, look at the end, we, we scored uh, three plus two, plus three again, plus two again, but it's something that definitely needs to be addressed. Let 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 me give you a clear example. Imagine that their right back has the ball, uh, Herrera has the ball on the right, on the right side, and Ali goes put, and he puts pressure there. We have to work out the opposite midfielder being Dajome, comes across to help Bikel and Rusty, and the two forwards not staying in the same line to bring more numbers there. But uh, it's going to be a balance. But... I don't want to take away what the team believes in also, that we have pieces that could be dangerous, exciting, and we we have to find the balance and we have to work on it because I think that we could still defend much better with the attacking pieces we have. And I don't want to be in a position that we have to take one of these attacking players out just because we're scared of other areas. So I prefer that. We try to solve the game with goals when we can. And then, like we did at the end, if we have to bring a third center back or another midfielder to try to close the game, we do that. But it's a great point. It's really a balance. If you add another midfielder, then you lose support to our number nine. And look, right now, it's uh, it's the first time after MLS is back that we have all the group working together, all the players together, and we could slowly work on what we want to be about. And uh, it's better to do that with wins than to do that with losses.
1: So basically MDS is saying, yeah, they are exciting. And it's about finding that balance because you want to keep that attacking threat, but you also need to have some defensive shape. And then you also need some midfield creativity but a midfield that will come back and help the defence. So he says he doesn't want to sacrifice someone in the midfield to to then put more pressure on the defence, but then if you don't do that, you're sacrificing some a member of the attack. And I think that is really, fatiguing stuff aside, genuinely the biggest problem the Whitecaps have just now is how do you fit the pieces that they need to have on the pitch into an actual starting 11?
4: Yeah, and it seems like that they don't have the all-around player that can go do everything. Um, like I know a lot of people don't like the term "jack of all trades" uh, because that sense essentially means that they're good a little bit good at everything, but they're not really spectacular at everything.
1: Oh yeah, because uh, well, the, the one second thing, part of that phrase is "master of none." So yeah. yeah,
4: master of none. Yeah, exactly. So, but the thing is, sometimes you need a jack of all trades, especially in a, in a game like football, because that helps you in both aspects of the game. Because there's not just one master, like there's not one thing that you can be a master of. You have to be good at everything. Like we talked about Montero, we joked about it before. Do you really want Montero defending in the box? Because that was the game against Colorado a year ago or or a couple of years ago, whatever, where he, you know, he caused one penalty and then he pushed the whiskey into another Colorado player to cause another penalty. So uh, do you really want a Montero playing uh, defending or whatever, where he gives up, free kicks or yellow cards or get sent off or something like that. So that is, it's really a balancing act of where you can, in, you know, put that into play or where you want to actually be a little bit more careful. Fancy. No,
2: I, I mean, the Colombian is not that. I mean, he again, I think he's in good form because, yeah, he's playing for playing for a contract. But, uh, I mean, the, the sort of jack of all trades the Whitecaps have had over the years is uh, is probably Russell Russell Tyber, right? He's a player that they've shifted from – you know, left back, center, midfield, wing, uh, other places in the midfield. Like, but yeah, I don't, they don't, you're right, Steve. They don't have a lot of players that are really uh, maybe they can do that well enough, I guess. Like um, all, well-rounded
4: kind of, you can Yeah, say.
2: But, but you guys are right when you're talking about they need to get, I think, I think a part of it is the, they need to get the formation right. And in, in, you know, just under two years or whatever, one of the biggest struggles MDS has had is, is kind of this internal struggle of playing the way he wants to play and playing what is probably best for the the players that he has in, in in the squad. And I think we've seen him be maybe a little more flexible, or sorry, it feels like he's been a little more flexible this year in terms of uh, leaning towards more towards the latter. Um, and I think he's gotten. You know some better results. I mean, our good friend Navid is is fond of telling us in our our live post game chats of, of his record and how how it it's, it hasn't been great, right? I think it was tonight his twelfth win as a as a as a coach.
1: I can't remember it anymore. So it, might
2: been, it might have been might have been the last game. It was his twelfth, but still, you know, that's like what Martin Rennie did in one year, um, kind, kind of thing. So, uh, but no, fitting players in uh, what's going to work for the team is it still seems to be a challenge now tonight it feels like even though the performances weren't maybe optimal uh they they took a step in the right direction with sort of the sort of four two three one and having uh adnan not play left back you know having having him move further up the pitch and allowing Gutierrez to play and probably you know making some better choices across the back four as a whole um but yeah what is what is the best going going forward yeah we could we, I think, what we what we would say right now might be different than the last time we had this mm-hmm. conversation. This a conversation, like three or four weeks ago, and Baum,
4: in bomb, in, and sorry, in bomb is the one of the best examples of that because in yeah. bomb was brought in. Was he brought in to fit a system, or was he brought in to be able to be sold on? And because he definitely, there were a lot of moments where he didn't. It looked like he fit the system where he was able to play with the role they wanted him to play. And we mentioned him on and on and on. And then he goes over to Russia. In his first game, he scores a Galazzo. So you know and he's
1: done really well since in the subsequent yeah. games as well.
4: And he's mentioned that to a few reporters mm-hmm. apparently too. So yeah. uh, so so that's the thing that is it the system they want to fight uh, fit or do they want to develop players? Or are they going to be what are they going to search for when they bring in new players down the road?
1: I mean, I, I think the four two three one is what works from an attacking sense, but I don't think we necessarily have the the midfielders that are going to be beneficial to the team for that, too, from a defensive sense. And that's that's definitely the toughest thing for, for MDS going forward.
2: How so, Michael? What, what, do, what do you mean we don't have the defensive players in the midfield for that?
1: Like, Baldy, I think, can do the job. Like, we, we need a destroyer in there. Somebody, or even somebody that, if you're going to have the fullbacks going forward as well, which I'm not sure we will as much if you've got the attackers that we had on the pitch tonight. But you want someone like a Matthias Laba that sits in front of the defence. Baldy could do that, but then I also think that's a waste of his talent when you see his distribution and, and stuff of tonight. I, I'm hoping. I, I thought a wusso would be that kind of guy. So a Owusu and Baldy would be those two that I could think they've got the engine to go forward, go back, do what they need to do. Bikel, it's too early to say if he can be that guy. Again, I'm hoping he can. Russo hasn't lived up to it. And I don't think we've got the consistency enough from the midfielders to to have what we need. Maybe it's just a case of rotating them out. I'm just trying to get the best of them in small bursts and then just seeing what we can do.
2: I think for right now, you you probably go with Bikel and, and Baldy in, those, in the, the double pivot role there. And then I think that's where you get the best of... You know, from what they have right now, that's where you get the best from that, from them and from those players and that formation.
1: Yeah, definitely. Last little bit just to say about the kind of Montero Cavallini uh relationship just something that Freddie said afterwards that he talked that he sees a lot of himself in Cava from when he was younger. He says that he feels Cava's hungry to get goals. He's got a talent to play in another league like in Europe and he wants to help him get the service that he needs and to be the player that he can be. And I I think that's fantastic. And I genuinely believe that is what he's trying to do as well as obviously earning a new contract because they are good friends. And I mean, by hook or by crook, it's clicked. I asked Freddie after the game, did he feel that he's thriving just now as well because he's fresher because he hasn't been playing and he doesn't want to look at it that way. He's still the same player, et cetera, et cetera. But that has to come into it. He's fresh. And a lot of the defenders that he's going up against have been playing and, and bubbles and traveling and everything. So, I mean, he is going to get the, the benefit of them. He looks fresh and sharp out there. I don't want to say he looks like a new signing because that's very Whitecaps-esque mid-season to say that when a player comes back from injury or being out of favor or something.
2: Well, what was that from MDS? that whole transfer from within. Yeah. Was that a com- was that a comment against the the what the the club's approach right
4: now or was that just I can't hey, I don't I don't know. It's it's kind of a term used. use like I think I even said that um, I asked I think who's it? Sporting K- KC uh, coach? Um I name is Peter F- Ramirez. Yeah, Peter breeze because last year they had a whole bunch of injuries to start the season Mm -hmm. and I said I I, I was telling him I was asking him is is this you know these people coming back from injury is it like a transfer it's like new players coming in and it is commonly known that again I don't know if it's known in Europe but in North America when you get a player coming back it feels like a brand new player because you've been playing half a season or you know three quarters of season without him and then all of a sudden you get a brand new player back in because he wasn't with you with the whole year. Yeah, but the, 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 that's a, a different
2: situation. This is a club that has sold their best player for the best money that they've ever gotten, then bought invested to, part of it in a, in to, a player to which sold
4: which sold what sold him what, for money. What team did they sell him to? That best player to the best club in the world. Oh, okay, gotcha. I just want to
2: know.
1: Yeah, oh, Kazan.
2: Anyways, so when people are asking him these questions about that kind of stuff, they're not asking like they're asking when are you going to bring in more players not just get players back from it just it seems like a really really awkward answer sorry to take this down on a tangent that's Go fine
1: but we used it but i mean like the midfield mds said after the game that he felt they were disconnected at times and he talked about the best formation he wants to maxim- maximize everybody to their fullest potential now one player who will not be in any formation going forward in a Whitecaps jersey is Jordi Reyna, who, surprisingly, in some sense, because it happened on a Saturday morning, has gone to DC United. The Whitecaps are getting 400,000 in GAM, 2021 GAM, and if Reyna signs a contract to be with DC next year, they'll get more GAM. If he gets sold on to out with the leak then they'll get a percentage of that as well. I thought it was a fantastic piece of of business by the Whitecaps. They had to give up an international spot uh, in return for that. And then someone pointed out that earlier this year, they actually paid a lot of money for an international spot. So it maybe was not as good bit of business as it first came across. All of that aside, for me, getting rid of Jordy Rayner is a good bit of business because I'm glad to see the back of him. I don't think he was consistent enough. There's no doubt he is a great player. He's skillful, maybe one of the most skillful players on the team. But what he brought attitude-wise, antics-wise, like breaking club rules, playing in Andy Livingston Park, all that kind of stuff, other stuff as well that's gone on before it. I'm just glad that he's gone. The general consensus when I tweeted stuff out this morning about it Pretty much everyone was quite glad to see the back of him, and there was very few people that w- were disappointed by this. So, I mean, that's very telling in itself. And I just want to bring you a little bit of audio now from MDS, just talking about Raina moving on and revealing that he could actually have moved on earlier this year. And uh, as far as history is concerned, everybody's happy with it. Everybody seems to be a winner from it. Here's what MDS had to say.
5: No, he never asked to to be moved. He never asked to be moved. He he had an opportunity in the beginning of the year uh, to go to another club and it didn't work out. Uh, But then as soon as he stayed, his mind was there. We felt with Jordi, it's a player with value. It's a player that has talent and it's a good kid. But we felt that the opportunity that uh, DC was giving us also thinking about the pieces that we need moving forward was a good opportunity for us and Jordi has been in the was in the club for about four years so it was good for everybody it's a new it's a new chapter for Jordi it's a good move for us in the cap so everybody's happy when you do a move where everybody's happy it's good for everyone
1: so MDS there just given his thoughts on the the Reina trade I've given my thoughts. What what do you guys make of it all? Well,
4: well, the thing is, what I saw was that a lot of people were disappointed that it wasn't a player coming back. But like we talked about in the previous podcast, that you know some players probably don't want to come here, and it's not because of COVID or quarantining the the the, the reputation of this French. Uh, fr- oh, I a franchise. Sorry, oh. <laughs> Zach would have been so mad. But essentially, it's turned into a franchise. You got to admit that. Um, but the the the. the the reputation of this club and the organization is not, is not well. And it doesn't, it's not even that you can get rid of players and that, uh, that helps the franchise. Because the more you get rid of players, the more they spread the reputation of how poor it is. So and this is going to happen again probably with Yordi Reina, even though in this case it might be Jordi Reina's fault that he didn't last in this club. But it's clearly that there were some issues, especially when they went out east, um, I don't know if he had an issue with the time difference or, you know, you know, setting the alarm clock or whatever the case is, but um but clearly there was some issue in Toronto where he didn't even I think I think he didn't even make the eighteen at all. And 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 because of that that you know he didn't he basically fell out of flavor fever. There was times in Orlando where he did show something and he was probably could could have been considered their best player. But once he got back to Canada, he moved to the, like they went East Coast. It, it kind of fell apart really quickly. It's amazing how quickly it fell apart. There's got to be some kind of story about what happened there that they can put into a documentary down the road. Michael, I get why people maybe are,
2: you know, of the perspective that they they they're happy that he's not here. I mean, yeah, I mean he played for the original Deadbolt. That's one reason why I'm happy he's not here. Um, there's the whole, you know, being involved in unfortunate circumstances where we—I don't think things ever really were fully explained. To, you know, not that they needed to be explained to the public in all cases, but that whole situation back in his homeland was really, I think, disturbing uh, to hear about. Um, again, not knowing the full details of all that, but um, and then yeah, like you guys said, his inconsistency, sure, but he. He was also, you might get say he was not consistent enough, but he was also more consistent, uh, creative, and attacking than most of the players in at least the last, you know, the post-Pedro era of the Vancouver Whitecaps. So it's hard to be so negative in that sense about someone who, yeah, not as consistent as you want, but more consistent than anyone else you have. Um, but then, yeah, the attitude, the not showing up to meetings, the, the Andy Livingston Park thing I think was really, really just poor um and kind of inexcusable yeah so i guess in one sense like i understand why people are happy he's not here i think what people and i I don't have the pulse on this maybe like you do michael but you can be happy he's gone but are you really happy with the return that they got i like i don't think this i don't think what they got is sufficient for what they had to be to be frank
1: i I think the biggest complaint people would like to have seen a player coming back but there's, you look at a DC roster, and I'm not sure there's a lot of players you'd want from that. So I mean, there still might be another part of this trade in the works that we don't know of that the Whitecaps have been working with a, a another team just now. I I don't know. I mean, MDS said that he feels that they've got the weapons at the club just now. That I mean losing him at this point of the season is not that big a deal.
2: Yeah. That rings hollow, but I'm sorry. It just does. I mean, a couple of people have messaged me today just saying, like, it just feels like they're – because it's a pandemic year, uh, they're just, like, stripping some assets away.
4: Yeah, uh, they, it feels like they're treading water at this point, where they just want to just get through the season. Um, the thing is, with them acquiring players, if you're going to acquire a player, you were going to acquire it when you sold your designated player at the, the, to, to for a profit, even, at that point. If you're not going to sell, if you're not going to acquire a player at that point, or you had somebody and you knew it was coming, because you knew he wanted to go to Europe, whether Europe or what Russia, whatever you want to call it, you, you knew he wanted to go. So you should have had somebody on your list that wanted to go, wanted to come here immediately, whether yeah, yeah, they yeah. they knew that was happening and they've chosen not to do anything. Now obviously the pandemic plays a role, but
2: it, I don't. It, it's hard to believe that they they had something you know lined
4: up that would have been sufficient based on what they you know what they yeah. have done and how they've approached things. And if they, like, I don't want to keep piling on them because, you know, obviously they've probably done their thing. If you know that there is, you're, you're getting a plural player and there's somebody like a South American or a Brazilian, or you know, obviously Brazil is part of South America, I should say that, but like a Central American or a South American that's ready to come to Vancouver or Canada, you don't think that they would want to come considering what's going on in the world? Like, like we, we do have a better Especially reputation than Brazilian. anywhere else. Yeah, so if you if you, if you're saying you're scouting all over the world, Canada's one of the best places to come to for your and bring your families at this point. No, well, forget for, about
1: before. For now, the numbers aren't looking that rosy. Yeah,
4: but but com- in comparison to other countries, they're still fine. They're yeah. still better than off than in other
1: places. My biggest disappointment about Raina moving on is I never ever got to do the thing I wanted to do with him, which was to get him to read some stuff about Paddington Bear, and that will always haunt me. But, well, talking of haunting, the Whitecaps have a couple of games coming up in the next week before our next show comes out. And the second of those is our our rogue home game, the ghost game, the Monopoly home game. I I just love MDS comes up with a different phrase to describe it every time he talks about it, because he's clearly pissed off and knows it's not a home game. Before that, though, we We've got an easy game coming up on wednesday guys we're We're playing a team that's below us in the standings l a f c so I mean that should be an easy three points, or are they gonna be out for like ripping a new one to us? I don't know. we won't delve into that too much, but here here's my concern. we're gonna just wrap this bit up just by chatting about what's to come, some complications with what's to come and for me, the biggest part of this is the fatigue of the players. Because the players are going to get run into the ground. Not just the Whitecaps, but across the league. You're playing three games in eight days constantly now, it looks like, until November. And that's going to take a toll on players. Especially when they can't just get out and enjoy cities as well. They're going to be kind of within mini-bubbles and all this stuff that they can can kind of do. I kind of broached that with, with MDS after the, the RSL game. So I'll just play what, what he said about that just now. You spoke about the fatigue there after the sending off and it did look like a team that was struggling to know how to get out of their own half and they weren't defending really deep. Is this, do you feel though, just what we can expect from a lot of games for the rest of the year because teams are just going to get run into the ground? I'm
5: concerned with that, Michael. I feel that I saw in some games I was watching today uh, some some injuries. I'm concerned with the the how much can the players go? It's it's not easy, um, and I hope that people that watch the games on TV understand that you might want to see sometimes a guy coming out and press or a guy pushing out. But we played the, on on Wednesday a game that we gave everything to win it. Then we we had off on Thursday because it was the only time we could have given the players with a family time before this stretch of crazy two months. It was a, a, a light kind of session recovery to get back and travel and to play against a team that was here for a week and comes from an heavy loss. And it would never be easy, never be easy. And where we have to see is, is the spirit, you know, how much you could push and grind in the mix of the fatigue. And I think that I'm, I have to say that that's a proud moment. Now, we will have to pay a lot of attention to guys that are in red zones or danger zone. Rusty is in the red zone. There was a moment where Freddie maybe, uh, but, he, but he seemed good after. But you love you some players that might, we might have to pay very, very good attention to, to them.
1: So, I mean, MDS talking about fatigue, the schedule, demanding schedule for the rest of the season, and he said he's been watching games, he's concerned about players are getting injured, and just, it's tough, and he spoke as well about he has to try and find the right balance for playing the guys, he doesn't want to, to see players go into what he was referring to as the red zone, or danger zone, so I guess that is when they're measuring all their Kind of mechanisms and stuff as to, to how tired they are, how much they've got left in their tank, and you're going to have to use a lot of, of squad depth in the coming weeks, but it is a genuine concern, not for the Caps only, but for every single team, and I think the quality of play is going to suffer as a result.
4: Yeah, and you see it in the, in you don't have to watch the highlights, you can just see it in the res, the actual results, like you got you were uh, I think, Michael, you were, we were mentioning it prior to the game, that Arsenal, one game, they're, they win big. This is probably the, the most normal game they've had since the restart because one, one game they'll play, they'll lose huge, and then one game they'll win huge and go forth. And then we have, like, uh, there was a game against Portland versus LAFC where Portland absolutely um, just on one goal just ran through LAFC, but it ended up being L F C winning big on the game. Even though if you look at that, just that one highlight, you think, oh, Portland destroyed them. Which was the one I thought because that's the only highlight I saw of the game. Though, I was goal. exactly
1: the same. I'd seen that I'd highlight f- and I thought, "Oh wow, Portland's won and FC's lost again." And then I saw, yeah, the game, and then no, you and saw the like, score,
4: wow. and it was like six-two or something like that. I can't remember what exactly it was, but yeah, it's it's an odd thing. Like, there's no consistency at all with the games right now. Um, there's the and you can. It's just not even MLS. In any sport you want to look at the bubbles, all the bubble te- uh, leagues. There is no consistency at all. People win one game huge and one game, Mm. uh, they'll win a game huge uh, loss.
1: But yeah, I mean, it was 4-2 that LAFC beat Portland and then Portland go out and score six goals today and LAFC go and lose against Seattle. So everyone's going up and down apart from a a couple of teams. Sporting Kansas City who lost to Dallas today and they'd been doing well. And I'll, I'll just mention this. I, I'm on the mailing list for a lot of the, the MLS teams, so I get the post-game report. So Sporting Kansas City came in, and the headline was just, Johnny Russell scores two in Sporting KC loss. And I was like, that's tailored to me, just to make sure that I click into it, because they just mentioned that Johnny got, got a brace there. But I mean, you must be concerned, Zach, as they the told that this is going to take in the players, both mentally and physically.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you guys want a consistent team that you know in a league around the world, just look at Alfonso Davies' team. They they they're always winning. But um, you know, yeah, you got to be concerned uh, not just for the Voycaps, but you're right around MLS. The way that this is all going to take a toll with what's happening in terms of uh, how their lives are being impacted um, because of uh, the pandemic. Um, There's also social unrest. I guess is maybe one way to describe of what's you know happening. Uh, in in the US especially you know in different places right like uh, and then you know the the wildfire thing just happens yeah there's all these things that kind of create or add stress to uh, to life um, in terms of the three you know you know playing three games every week or whatever um, you know they're, they're footballers and I don't think that's I know every week for a number of weeks in a row maybe a little bit much for MLS players but you know most football, clubs around the world get into that rhythm where uh, they're in three games a week, especially, you know, at the, at the top level. So I, I don't think asking players to go to, to do that is, is necessarily a bad thing unless you're doing like Thierry Henry where it's like the same starting 11 is starting every game and playing, you know, like 80 plus percent of the game. But um, it'll be interesting to see how MDS and the coaches – kind of approach this uh, and and help their players overcome the the potential uh stress
1: totally i mean it's going to be difficult so we heard a little bit from mds earlier chatting about fatigue let's just bring you a little bit of audio now where i asked him just about some of the strange results we've seen in mls and is that something that we can maybe expect to see now over the course of the season
5: yeah, Michael, I I really think you know it's so difficult to to make a judgment on. Can you guys hear me well? Can you guys hear me well? Yeah. So I I really think that it's um, it's such a kind of lottery uh, in moments. You, you 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 have to understand traveling the day you play in a plane, being a close to two hours in a plane it's it's weird it's weird land go to an hotel where you're going to be a couple of hours there before you go to the stadium I know a lot of teams every team that's going away is doing that so uh, for us it's going to be a new experience Uh, it's hard for me to say how that affects the fatigue how that affects the 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 team and how how uh, do teams answer to that? And that's that we're going to live it. But when I look at other teams play, it's hard for me to to think that the teams are playing at their full physical and mental capacity. Uh, because right now playing every three days, uh, such a condensed schedule with the, the, the type of traveling in and out, for sure it affects fatigue, for sure it affects fitness levels, uh, concentration levels and some moments and that is something that uh, is a new experience for all of uh, of us and maybe that's the reason why some results have been kind of different
1: compared with a normal season I would say. Strange times indeed and they're only going to get stranger as Vancouver call Portland home. And then at the end of this Portland game, I'd, I'd asked Mark, because I was curious and I'd, I hadn't seen it anywhere, and I'd asked him, what happens after that? Because we know that they're going to be playing games in Portland, just like Toronto's going to be playing in Connecticut and Montreal's playing in New York. It's not all official, they had to wait for border announcements, that's now been extended, etc, etc. But I was wondering about setting off in this trip as to whether they would be able to get back to Vancouver before going out to the next one, how it would affect quarantine and everything like that. And then Mark told me on Friday, oh yeah, there is an opportunity to come back for two or three days. And I was a little bit confused about that. So I've clarified it with Nathan and the Caps. So basically, following the Portland game, players have two choices. One, they can travel back to Vancouver go into quarantine for two or three days, see their immediate family, and then travel back to the US to resume training. Or secondly, they can stay in the US and just train down there and and do all the stuff. Everything's been communicated with all the players and staff. They know that this is the thing. So I was like a bit confused as how can they come back for two or three days and not 14? And the reason that they don't need to is because it's both charter flights in and charter flights out the person then that they're going to stay with like wife family or whatever they're quarantining in their residence so that means that not everyone in the residence has to quarantine unless you're showing symptoms and they are getting tested regularly and they know that they don't have it etc etc and they've had regular communications with all levels of government and local health authorities so that clears that up and I guess if there's gaps in the schedule, they might be able to go and visit family for two or three days at a time in between this. So that's great. And from a mental health point of view, I think it's fantastic. Still think it's terrible we have to play games out of the US, but it's something. It is what it is. It's going to just be tough. And I guess everyone just has to make the best of it as they can. It's whether some people at some point might just have enough and say, I can't i can't do this i need to to get back to my family
4: yeah but the two or three days i think that will help uh a little bit um and and the fact is the you know you i know you you were talking to me about it too and the fact is that they just have to come they'll come back spend the two three days they're just in the two three days in the in their house they won't you know socialize outside the house um you know no 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 trips to the park or whatever and uh and basically that's it and then they just get back on the flight and they go back to where they are so it, in that case it kind of uh compacts the uh the, the you know the groups that you're with and everything like that you don't have to be you're not spending time out it, like they're not gonna be allowed to go to a restaurant or a bar or anything like that it's basically everything's in the house in that case so it kind of, it kind of works out and i think that i think families, uh uh family, players with families they will probably Take advantage of that. Obviously, single uh, younger kids probably will just stay in Portland or wherever they're going to stay.
1: Well, th- I guess we'll have to see how everything plays out. That is it for the Whitecaps and MLS chat for tonight's show. We're going to be turning our attention to the Canadian Premier League next. And we're going to have a little bit of wavelength as well. Then we're also going to be hearing from the CPL Commissioner David Clanahan in the next part. And we'll be back with that after this.
6: Hi, I'm Mark Anthony Kay, and you're listening to the AFTN Radio Show.
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the second of tonight's three-of-a-kind selection. From 2016, by a band called Cheap Pop. That was Daniel Brian Danielson. Catchy little number, I'm sure you'll agree. Have you been able to work out what the link is yet? So we kicked off part three with Everything's AOR from Half Man Half Biscuit. Cheap Pop There with Daniel Bryan Danielson. If you think you know what the link is, can you work out what this song might be that kicks off part five? Find out what that song is very soon. But before we get back into the football chat, I'm going to keep the musical theme going, because it's time now for this week's Wavelength. And as regular listeners will know, it's September, that can only mean one thing. Much like March, it's Football Violence Awareness Month here at AFTN. And this week, we are bringing you a song by a band making an impassioned plea to stop the fighting on the terraces, to stop the football violence. Where would Football Violence Awareness Month be if that was to happen? Well, let's hope we never find out, but we're going to play the song nonetheless. It's from 2001 by an English band called The Foamers. It's from their EP Entitled Football, and this is the title track, Football. <laughs> English band The Foamers there with their song Football from 2001, the penultimate song in this month's Football Violence Awareness Month, will be back with the final selection on next week's show. But for now, let's get back to the football chat and we're moving away from the Whitecaps, we're moving away from MLS, we're flying out east to Prince Edward Island where the Canadian Premier League's Island Games have been taking place for the past four or five weeks Everything wrapped up on Saturday. Forge FC were crowned 2020 champions, repeating their success from 2019. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the final part of tonight's show. But for this part, I'm wanting to bring you some selected highlights from CPL Commissioner David Clanahan's conference call that he had with media on Friday morning. So, I'm going to play you some snippets where he's talking about the success of the tournament, what lies ahead for the league, potential loan deals, the Canadian Championship fiasco that looms, and a lot more besides. So, go and make yourself your favourite hot beverage, grab a chocolate digestive, sit back, and listen to the words of CPL Commissioner David Clannon.
8: We are the league! <laughs>
2: Can you um, give us your thoughts on how the tournament has uh, has gone so far? Obviously, it was a huge undertaking to put this on. Give us your take on it, and also, can you share uh, what's next for the league uh, after this? Uh, or future plans?
3: Sure, uh, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and get get all of that out, Neil. Um, first of all, I think I think the the games have been fantastic here in, in, in PEI. Um, I think it's been they've been well played. I was I've been very pleased with the uh, with the level of uh, I'll call it parity, but the level of competition uh, and from the teams to have seven teams still in the running on the final week uh, weekend of the uh, of let's call it the first stage was unbelievable and, and knowing that even Edmonton uh, almost became a spoiler uh, for Pacific FC so uh, it was fa- it's been fantastic I think the players have been excellent uh, they've played well played hard they've done everything they they should have done as professionals I think our coaches and and the clubs have been fantastic and obviously the referees from Canada soccer have been outstanding as well and they've done a great job so I think overall it's been a great success and most importantly we've uh, we've been welcomed here on the island and 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 uh, and we've we stuck to our health and safety protocols and everyone's been 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 very good Uh, not a not a positive test at all all negative tests all throughout the games. so uh, we did exactly what we said we were gonna do and that's the best plan you can do now for next year I think going from here, obviously we still have the Canadian Championships to, uh, once we crown a champion, we'll know who will face uh, Toronto FC in the Canadian Championship. But that'll be decided uh, where and when uh, by Canada Soccer, and, and I think Canada Soccer made a great decision on on putting the CPL champion against the MLS champion uh, from Canada uh, in, the, in a one-game final and I think that's going to be exciting. And then we'll start to prepare obviously right away for, for next year where where I, I'm, you know, you know me, Neil. I'm. I, I believe that the uh, uh, the glass is always half full. I'm an eternal optimist, so to speak. So I'm. I'm. I'm approaching next year, hopefully that we'll have fans in the stands and that our supporters can see our teams play live and, and and that we'll be past this this pandemic that we're dealing with today. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that works, but that, that'll be that'll be plan A, but we'll obviously work to plan B and C. Uh, right now I'm, I'm approaching next year as if we will be playing starting in April, like we, we have in the last, uh, we've, we've planned for the first season and obviously for this season before we were, we're put on hold. So that's what we see happening.
1: First of all, congratulations on putting on what I think everyone has felt has been an absolutely fantastic tournament. It's been enjoyable watching it from afar. It kind of got me thinking, and I asked a few of the head coaches this already. A a future competition like this, is that something you'd like to see maybe as a kind of pre-season event? Because it's six months before some of these guys are going to be maybe back in the pitch again, tying it in maybe with another Canadian championship or something like that?
3: Yeah, it's uh, Michael. That's uh, th- th- listen. That's a that's a great that's a great suggestion. Truthfully, uh, and it's a brilliant idea because yeah, I uh, you know one of the things I worry about is how do you deal with this six months in between us starting to play again if we're able to start playing in April, right? And the, you know we did we saw a little bit of this when we were down in the Dominican Republic in our first year for preseason training. Uh, that was interesting, and and, and this is an even better build on that. So yeah, you never know. Like you know some, maybe pull something like that off. I think we'd have to start to think about it and put a straw man around it to. You You know pull 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 together a project plan but it's a good idea because uh you know again it's it's one thing to train it's another thing to actually have game game time right for the players so yeah you never know you know I never say no to anything so I I think it would be very interesting Uh, and certainly there's a break in some seasons uh, right around the beginning of the year as well so there's there could be opportunity there it's a great idea
1: just as a a follow-up then A couple of the coaches, they've talked about maybe looking at ideas to try and get some of their younger players out on loan to Europe or something like that. Is that something the league is also actively looking at, maybe striking up a relationship with some leagues to get these guys some more playing time?
3: Yeah, well, we're already we're already doing that at this point in time, right? We're we're working we're working hand in hand with the clubs, right? We with the strategy we have with the 21st Club out of out of the UK uh, has helped us bring in young internationals. But not, so the reciprocal has been now we're seeing clubs uh, across the world saying, hey, we would we would like to take on some of the some of the players. Uh, one of the one of the young uh, Jamaican players that. Uh, uh, that was coming and couldn't get in because of the COVID restrictions, leaving, leaving Jamaica to get here in time and the quarantine and everything else. We've arranged for him to, uh, to get a visa and, and to, to go and play in Scotland. And so he's playing, he's, he's actually, Dundee have signed him, and, uh, and the British government has given him a visa for, uh, a working visa to, to play for Dundee, which should be very interesting for him. Uh, and then he's going to, the idea is he's coming back to play for, for uh, York 9. Uh, next year. So yeah, we're starting to see that happen Yeah, uh, it's it's great to see, uh, you know, even Canadian kids going uh, and being able or young men Canadian young men Going to play overseas as well and then coming back uh, for us This style of kind of tournament going forward. I was wondering uh, you, you said uh, you wouldn't say no to that. I was wondering if you had some interest uh, kind of like a PEI from from cities or just from from clubs within your league that would be interested in maybe taking on something like that maybe in a preseason setup yeah I think uh, Tristan it's a good question and I think yes the answer is yes we've already had a couple of clubs say they would they'd love to have a, almost an invitational tournament it doesn't necessarily just have to be CPL clubs in it. it could be other clubs around the world if they were available at the time so yeah it could be could be an interesting way to do it
0: David, I just wanted to uh, have you unpack something you alluded to a little bit at the the start of the call here, which is sort of the parody in the league right now. I mean, I don't think you could have really scripted it any better. You had, uh, you know, the, the the round robin went down right to the last, last match weekend. Even the group stage did. Um, how important was that for the league? Um, because last season was a bit of a two-horse race. And, and given the format that you've had here in PEI with that, with that group stage that follows sort of the quote-unquote regular season. Does that give you an appetite to maybe fold something like that in uh, for 2021, assuming we're sort of back to quote-unquote normal circumstances?
3: Yeah, I think from, an, um, from a normal circumstance perspective, I think we've, we had a really good plan for this year. I mean, our our schedule was tight. It was good. Uh, we were going to a one-table one, one league as opposed to a spring and, and, and then a fall-summer or summer-fall. Um, I think last year we were a lot closer than people thought we were when you looked at who was still in the running towards the end. There's no doubt that Two teams, obviously, Forging Cavalry. Their heads were kind of a little bit higher. They were head and shoulders above everybody else at the end. But it wasn't that. It wasn't that they didn't run away with it right away. Although it, it, sometimes it felt like that. I would agree. So I know I, I think we. we I wouldn't want to do this in 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 addition to during a season. I, I don't think I want to do that. I want. I'd like to keep the, the clubs focused on what they need to do from a from a league perspective. But uh, I think there's other ways to augment it. Uh, you know, off season or you know preseason things. Like like that
0: and and just a quick follow-up if i could then i know you know last year was sort of you know you had the two the season divided into two with uh, going straight to uh, a final and uh um you had moved originally to a, a a playoff format um sort of before uh global events transpired are playoffs something that you want to stick with let's say through 2021, is that, is that high priority for you?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, <clears throat> we're going to go back, we're going to go into 2021. If we get a full season and we're going to do it exactly the way we had planned for 2020, because we spent a lot of time talking to our supporters and our fans and, uh, and they really took us to a single table and to the playoff format. So we think there's a, there's a good, there's a good model there. And it, it's going to be exciting. We saw, you know, the level of excitement that, that just in the format we use here. So I think uh, we'll, we'll go back to exactly what we were doing, doing at that point in time for, for 2021
0: as we approach the final here tomorrow we've got 20 over 20 players uh, that you've had in the league this year um from from u sports uh, that have played in the cpl including seven that will be playing in the final tomorrow um and obviously uh hfx has the most in the league so that that's a terrific statement that you know they're there in the in the final with uh with that many players how would you characterize the partnership That you've had with U Sports over the last uh, two years, and how important would you say um, that partnership has has been? And uh, would you say um, would you say it says about the success of of uh, U Sports alum and U Sports draftees um, in the league the the past two years?
3: So if I was going to be very short on it, Adam, I would say uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I think it's the the partnership is is vital to us. I think it's. It's fantastic in the fact that, Alan, that we've, we actually have this idea that that we can actually have players come out and be able to get an education and play professional sport. It's groundbreaking, for sure. It was groundbreaking at the time. No one else had ever done it. And I think uh, I think we need to continue to do it going forward. It's, it's been extremely successful for us, Alan. So, again, I, uh, I think brilliant, brilliant, brilliant.
1: You touched on it in, in your first answer there, just talking about, the future and the Canadian Championship that's coming up. Now, obviously, yesterday, TFC's president made comments that he was thinking the games might get played in December, maybe January, looking to have them at BMO Field. I know, ultimately, this lies with Canada soccer, but it surely can't be ideal for the league and whoever wins the CPL title to be having to wait a couple of months to get this game played might end up having a whole lot of different players. How much say do you have in when this match will be played?
3: Well, let me, let me say this, Michael. I have three thoughts on this whole thing. First of all, Canada Soccer, in our opinion, Canada Soccer made the best decision they could on how to handle the Canadian Championships this year. So we were very, very pleased with that. I, a little tongue-in-cheek, I told the MLS clubs I was actually disappointed because I thought maybe two CPL clubs would be in the final this year. But... Uh, but, uh, and and we, had, we had a good chuckle on that. But we're, we're delighted at the CPL, Canadian Premier League, to have our champion play Toronto FC in the final. That's gonna, be, that's gonna be a great game, and it's gonna be great for Canadian soccer at the end of the day. The final date and location is still to be determined. Right? And, and once we understand what the MLS schedule looks like, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of complexity to putting this whole thing together. So we'll, I'm, we look forward to the fact that Canada Soccer will make their decision and they'll, they'll lay out where it's going to be and when it's going to happen, and we'll, we'll follow suit on that, on, on that perspective. We trust the fact that Canada Soccer understands that our teams will stop playing for a while, and so they not, I don't think Canada Soccer would want, want to see the, the scales tipped one way or the other or put one club at a disadvantage versus the other. So we have full confidence in the fact that Canada Soccer will do the right thing, and as, as they have up to now.
2: I was just wondering, for, with your partnership with Macron for the, the kits. Obviously, this year you guys announced the kits like some of them way way earlier in the year. Obviously, you only played some some teams seven games. Are you guys going to be using the, the same kits for next year? Do you have a plan to make completely new kits and uh, reveal them? Sometime in 2021.
3: Well, we've actually we've already finished the design for our next set of kits. But you bring up a great point, Alex, because the you know a lot of a lot of the fans and supporters haven't really got a chance to see the, their teams play live in these in these kits, right? Uh, and they're great kits. So we we I've I've been asked this question a number of times by the clubs, and I said we're when we finish the 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 Island Games, we'll have a Board of Governors meeting, and we'll decide what we want to do. Obviously, we want to do the right thing by our partner at Macron. They've been fantastic with us and you know we're getting people from across the globe asking us about our, our, our kits because they they think that our you know we've we, the clubs have done a great job in the way that they've been very creative and innovative and and and, and the themes that we come up with they really they re, they're they're really well liked across the globe in fact I I, I joke I, I we we have a about a 70 club group uh, of macron different football clubs around the world that, that deal with macron and I actually, I joke with uh, Gianluca who's the uh, CEO at macron I said I think we've upped your game a little bit by get challenging you to do great kits for the CPL because I'm seeing some great stuff across the globe from macron now so and and so that's been that's been very good and I and I would since you brought up macron I'd also like to thank some of our other partners obviously Volkswagen and WestJet and new era and some of the caps they've done for us and of course macron and 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 the other supporters we've had has been fantastic I also think we should We should give a tip our hat to some of our sponsors here on the island, whether it be Tourism PEI or Discover Charlottetown or even the meetings and convention people in PEI. These people have been great, and they have supported us so well while we've been here. So thank you to to all those people.
1: CPL Commissioner David Clanahan there. A lot to unpack from that. A lot to talk about from the CPL and the Island Games that, as I say, wrapped up on Saturday. And we will be back doing just that after this.
4: I'm David Edgar and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
8: Be more like Alexa Bliss
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM And kicking off this final part It was the final song of tonight's Three of a Kind section From this year An album of the same name It's Bowling for Soup With a song called Alexa Bliss Did you work out what the connection was? We kicked off part three with everything AOR from Half Man Half Biscuit that was talking about putting a tennis racket to your face and pretending that you're Kendo Nagasaki. The old English wrestler Kendo Nagasaki who I used to watch growing up on World of Sport in the 70s and 80s. We kicked off part four with a song by Cheap Pop called Daniel Bryan Danielson. Yes, about the wrestler from Washington State Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson if you knew him in the indies and in part 5 Alexa Bliss, Bowling for Soup the link this week was wrestlers Did you get that link? I hope you did. If you didn't, we'll be back with another three of a kind next week Uh, Steve, just a quick little bit of a wrestling chat to throw at you because I know Zach won't care what you making of the whole Alexa Bliss fiend storyline that's going on just now
4: it is interesting but they really haven't made the full connection yet they're really like the problem is is that they i feel like they're making an obvious connection Mm -hmm. and they're not making a subtle either you you connect it or you make an a very subtle connection and they're making it too obvious and it's just it's it's like you're just waiting for it to happen at this point i know
1: it's like you want storylines to last for more than just a couple of weeks but at the same time it feels this is just dragging on it's like just get it done we kind of know where it's going and this is
4: where the opposite of the AEW storyline happen- has happening with uh, you know uh, Page, uh, Hangman Page, and and, and mm. Kenny Omega, where you don't know where it's going. Yeah, it's, it's very is gross. subtle. I- it's it's very subtle, so you don't know which way it's gonna go. Is it is he actually gonna turn on him? Is he gonna attack him at one, one point? I thought he might attack him after the match last this past week, but he didn't, and it didn't mm. happen. He just walked off. So is, are they dragging it out? who's going to be the, you know, the ultimate bad guy or in the, out of the group, or is it just going to, are they going to reunite? There, there is a potential that they're actually going to reunite as well. So yeah. that's, where, that's where the difference of storyline telling is in one, in one uh, federation and another federation.
1: I mean, we don't want to bore everyone, especially Zach. But one thing that was mentioned by Kenny on commentary, that at one point Kenny said, this is a good match between two tag team wrestlers. So he doesn't consider Paige as being a singles guy.
4: Exactly. And there were a number of times where he was saying, like, I, I, this is the point where I would rescue him from mm-hmm. being pinned. And let's see if he can actually, the, or will he turn to the corner and try to tag, find somebody to tag. So, yeah, there were very subtle yeah. subtle nuances to the match and the way Kenny Omega was there. So that's why I think AEW is the best one right now. Oh, definitely. Or, or, yeah.
1: I mean, Zach must be as bored of listening to this as I am when he starts talking about Bundesliga. So let's get back to football. Let's get back to CPL and the great story that played out over the last couple of weeks on Prince Edward Island at the Island Games. It wrapped up on Saturday. We have 2020 Canadian Premier League champions, back-to-back winners, Forge FC, 2-0 win over Halifax Wanderers, the game was live on C B C this year, which was fantastic. Hopefully lots of folk got to watch. I think Forge probably deserved it for the way that they've they've been in this tournament. I felt for Halifax, I especially felt for Christian Oxner, their keeper, who just made a mistake that made it 2-0 to Forge. He'd had such a good game and such a good tournament and he'll beat himself up for that, but he shouldn't, because he, he had a great game. But do you feel Forge were worthy winners and worthy of going back to back?
4: Um, I'll go first. Considering I know what Zach's going to say that he doesn't like it happening, but, um, but I think Forge, in a way, um, I don't. I'm a person that doesn't like Forge either. Um, I'm not a big fan of the you know the whole the way they were set up, but it's kind of good too because you have that heel that keeps winning and everything like that, and then when you get that you know uh, baby face that's gonna win. Speaking of wrestling, obviously, uh, when you're going to get that baby face that comes up big and, ha- and one of these years is going to become the champion and knock off this Forge, uh, you know, you know, dynasty or whatever you want to call it, the early dynasty, it's going to be more satisfying that way too. Obviously, you'd like to see them lose a little bit sooner. You don't want it to go like three, four years. Hopefully, it doesn't go that long. But when if it's next year or the year after It's going to be really satisfying to see somebody beat them and take them off their pedestal. Yeah, I
2: mean, I'm very, very happy for David Edgar. (laughs) Um, Like him a lot. But, yeah, I'm not super big on Forge. Um, You know, I think Bobby's a good coach and everything. Don't get me wrong. And I I agree with you guys that they're deserving winners this year. But, yeah, I mean, I think all of Canada was, you know, sorry, all of Canada outside, outside of uh, that part of the Golden Horseshoe was was going for, you know, Halifax. Um, yeah,
4: except those fifty people that were in the bar cheering them <laughs> on,
2: non social distanced. Yeah,
4: exactly. um, but anyways,
2: no, I'm sure they were complying by our local, you know, re- regulations. Anyways, uh, the tournament as a whole, though, I think I think the CPL um, did really well. Like in, in general, uh, I, I think they can be really happy with what they pulled off as a second year league in a pandemic world. Uh, obviously the number of games is not conducive to their overall goal of actually, you know, developing players, but can all things considered, I think, I think they did, I think they did well. And um, I'm sure there's other, le- other leagues, you know, on this continent that would have liked to have been able to do something similar and and, and some weren't or haven't been. Um, So, yeah, I think you need to congratulate them for that. We talked about it earlier, but I I liked how they kind of went with a bit of a different format uh, in terms of the two-group stage. It was something different, and it it actually played out, I think, meaningfully for them. Um, With uh, the last two... Well, the last one of the two last games in the group stage being ex- extremely meaningful. And the other one wasn't meaningful, but was a great, <laughs> it was a great game to watch less, especially if you like the color purple. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think they've done really well and I look forward to what happens next year. Will more uh, communities be able to join, um, you know, what will sports look like, especially for what will
1: CPL look like in 2022, uh, you know, depending on, what they're allowed to do. I mean, here's a question for you both then, like Forge are back to back just now. And something that struck me today was, could we be seeing a kind of similar pattern play out to when the Canadian Soccer League existed in the early eighties and nineties and the Vancouver 86 Sixers became a dynasty and won title after title after title until eventually getting dislodged. So could we see three, four five years out of Forge being champions?
4: The problem with that is that I feel like it, the, that, that's going to get old very fast. So it can't be last that long. If it's going to last maybe another year, if they win the third straight championship or something, that's fine. But winning four in a row or something like that, that will get old fast. And you're going to lose a lot of um, supporters that are just going of a lot of people get bored about the same teams play, winning all the time. Like you need your villains, but you also need your villains to lose once in a while as well.
2: Uh, yeah, it also reminds me of DC United at the beginning of MLS, right? Um, but like, like I agree with Steve in that it might be better if, if things were mixed up a little bit. But uh, but um, and I also agree with Steve's earlier comment about how Forge is and continues to grow into the role of the heel in terms of the the club that a lot of people, unless unless are your club, you don't like them. They 've probably taken over from the former Ottawa Fury as the number one most disliked club in, you know,
4: outside of the MLS, anyways, in Canada. <laughs> yeah, they're, like, the, they're like, the, the, like what you would consider the Yankees of the uh, baseball or the Cowboys of uh, the NFL or other sports like that. And you know that, uh, right now the, at, at one point, Atlanta, everybody started hitting Atlanta because they seemed like they were going to win all the time, but then they got knocked off. Um, ever since Frank De Boer took over, when he took over. So it's it's kind of like you want to see those teams get high in, the, in their respective leagues, but you also want to see them drop as well eventually and somebody take them down a the peg.
1: Yeah. Forge's victory today as well, obviously clinched their spot in the Canadian Championship final. They will be taking on Toronto FC. We don't know when it is yet. That That's the, the thing. We heard uh, a little bit from David Clanahan in the last part... But ...when I asked him about that. And it all kind of stemmed from... ...TFC President Bill Manning... ...was on the Footy Lives kind of webcast on Thursday. And he was saying that they're hoping to, to play the game at BMO Field... ...of course they are... Uh, ...in December or January. Which does not seem ideal in the slightest. I mean, Bobby Smyrniota said... Whenever it is, they'll be ready. They do have the advantage of they're keeping their team together because they may or may not, they won't be, but in theory, they'll be playing CONCACAF League at the end of October. I don't think that's going to go ahead, but they are keeping their squad together. So at least they'll be training and keeping together, but they won't have been playing a competitive game from the 19th of September to possibly mid-December or into January. So, I mean, that's not ideal. The only way this would have worked is if the Canada Soccer and MLS had worked together so that this coming midweek, none of the the MLS teams had been down in the States today and they could have played a game on Wednesday. It hasn't happened. I mean, what's your thoughts on it? When should this be and where should it take place? We, We talked last week about, I was hoping to ask David Clanahan about that. So I got the chance today, but we're still not really any further forward.
4: For me, it should be um, – I don't have a problem when when the uh, – but it definitely should not be a BMO field. That's 100% for me. Like, you can even – and the thing is it should be played in an environment where um, uh, the you, you'll, you'll be able to get a good showcase for the game uh, but also have it fair for everybody. My pick would actually be BC Place. That's where I think it should be played. Um, it's a neutral site both teams would be coming from a same distance. Um, You'll be able to get a, um, like I said, a a good showcase for the game. Like, I know BC Place is not the greatest place to play, but it's still um, a good stadium. Um, They've, You know, they've hosted a a Women's World Cup and everything like that. So I think in that case, it's it's a good place to play. So that's for me, and it's also indoor. So you don't have the weather environment. The players are not affected by the weather. um, Because you don't want to put – Honestly, look, do you really want to put the players in a minus, you know, you know, 10 degree temperature or whatever in December? I think, I remember, I think it was Colorado and Denver, if I'm not mistaken, played one MLS Cup final when they were had neutral sites and they played in Toronto and it was like minus five or something like that. And it was a miserable game. So why do you want to put your a showcase game like that in a miserable pl- location?
1: Well, that definitely rules out having it in Hamilton.
2: I thought you were into that. Yeah, I, it doesn't, Toronto should not get the, there's a host of game, even if it's like behind closed doors. Um, it feels it just feels unfair. Um, Steve, you give a good shout out about BC Place, especially if the game's going to be stuck in a month like December or January. Well, yeah,
1: because you're going to have better weather out here. I know the roof's going to be closed and everything. I mean, David Clanahan, Zach, said he trusts Canada Soccer to make the right decision that will not tip the scales towards one team or the other. It's hard to see how it can get tipped towards the MLS team because the CPL side season's done.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and we don't know if he's speaking out of like knowledge or you know, like he. I, I hope. Or I guess I hope he's saying that, he, and he knows what's going to happen, and he's okay with it, or he's happy for it, or the league's happy for it, or whatever. But um, ultimately, you hope that this game for the Voyagers Cup can take place and if for it to be fair and um you know uh, yeah, like Steve said that the weather's not you know you know not horrendous and uh it can be a, a great spectacle because it would be nice to Oh well it'd be nice yeah it's also it would be nice if it was in the calendar year 2020 but I don't think that's going to happen at the moment um but it would it, be nice to maybe kick off next year uh, with uh, like a meaningful game, uh, a, a really, a, I don't know, a great. Um, he said, "Well, it depends on what Conky App's doing." But it would be nice for it. It, it would be nice for it to, the game to suit the occasion. I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? Like you, this is the the final of the Voyagers Cup. It's it's the, in one sense, it's the top
4: club trophy in Canada, and so it would be nice for uh, for the game to fit that. But but it'd be so 2020 for their uh the 2020 you know Canadian championship to be played in 2021. Yeah, uh, just uh, that would be, that, that'd be ideal. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, that kind of that kind of is ideal for it. Uh, last couple of little things to talk about before we wrap the show up. Bobby Smirnyotis, uh, there's an article. By the time this podcast comes out, it's probably already going to have been up on AFTN. Just having a a, a look at his success. I mean, he was successful with Sigma. He's been involved in the game since 2005, co-founding Sigma. It's an academy that's brought a lot of players on. They were always held up as being an academy that was doing things correctly. They've got a team in League One Ontario now. The Canadian Premier League, it was set up to help develop talent, both player and management, to develop young Canadian coaches, to give them the opportunity to manage at a high level that they might not have had. And Bobby has certainly grabbed that opportunity with both hands. He's shown what he can do in the game. He's won back-to-back championships now. He's built a team of winners. He's built a team defense first and then like going out from that. I asked him after the game like if it about his ambitions because everyone's talking about his players moving on and he said, "Yeah, if the right opportunity came along, he he'd consider it and he he would look to to have all the options. Do you feel he deserves a a look, whether it's with an MLS team, whether it's involved in some way with Canada soccer? Someone suggested a great idea. He could be the under-23 head coach whilst also dual doing the the Forge role at the same time. I, I think he deserves more opportunities than he's got with Forge because I think he needs maybe a bigger challenge now because he's shown what he can do with Forge.
4: Uh, I agree. And and like you said before, like about Sigma, it's the, he's done so much with them and develop players that have gone to NCAA and, and become players that eventually come back to uh, MLS or CPL. Um, So yeah, I think he is, there's something about him that has created uh, a culture. um, See Cincinnati there, uh, uh, a culture that has kind of developed and, and not only at Hamilton, but other parts of Ontario and, he can maybe transport that culture to other factions. So I think I think he is a good shout for whether you want to call MLS or – th- that's the thing about um, CPL. It's not about just developing players, but coaches. And like we said uh, last time, referees um, or uh, we Linesmen, we need to develop those too. And that – I know people always want to say, oh, you develop a player and he gets the national team and, you know – that's what we're looking for CPL, but CPL can also do so many different things at different levels. Uh, hell, I, I think they can they should they should be doing a better job at this point, and they haven't been. But do, developing people that commentate on the game that has to be improved too. I I personally I don't think they they're, they're, they're kind of just uh, pushing people in, but they just need to be create a better chemistry. Right now, it's re- I think for what you know the year is, and uh, you know it's what their second year. I think it's a solid job. It's just a matter of keep it, Don't get settled in and keep improving on that and keep getting the, you know, the talent that can do play by play and develop those young player by play player people like, you know, shout out to Gideon. Gideon should be, you know, in CPL one day, right? So you, you got to keep developing those people at every position of the sport, not just players.
1: Yeah. And referees like we mentioned last week as well. I, I mean, agree with yeah, you. The
4: referee, the,
2: I mean, we're done talking about the game. But to me, the the final could have been a completely different game, Ooh. not just with refereeing, but it with with VAR for sure. Yeah, like, I That would have been a penalty, like absolutely. I think was it, was it David Edgar. David Edgar. Handball? Yep. Yeah, it would have been. That would have been a penalty for sure. Could have changed the entire outcome of the game. So in one sense, the game is it's like a different game when when you have VAR and when you don't have VAR, but. Yeah, to the other point, Steve, you're right. Yeah, this is, needs to be about developing. Uh, the league needs to be about developing a whole uh, – I don't like this term, but a whole industry of football in in, in, in this country. In terms of Bobby Michael, um, I think he's done extremely well. He's played a significant role, obviously, like you said, at Sigma and now at at Forge. He's also played a significant role in the lives of a number of players who've come through, like Kyle Becker, like Kyle Laren. Um, and so, uh, yeah. One day, you you have to think that one day he is the type of guy who will get bigger chances at other places. And like when you talk about MDS, MDS, you have to think that one day he might could be a guy who gets the opportunity to to lead the the, the, the men's national team. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's like if MDS moves on from here, I've spoken before that I think someone like Tommy P. Wooden Junior would be a, a a good guy to come in. But Bobby Smirniotis would be a great guy to come in as well because of his passion for developing young Canadian talent. David Edgar saying that for him, Bobby's right up there as one of the best managers that he's ever played under and that he's learned so much from him during this experience in the bubble as well. And I mean, that's, for a guy that's played in the Premier League, I mean, that's just fantastic. And we talked about Kyle Becker earlier as well. I actually did ask Kyle Becker about the Whitecaps rumours and I said I don't want to make this a loaded question but obviously you know MDS from your time in San Francisco you've been linked with a move to the White Caps do you still feel that there's some unfinished business in MLS and he was a bit cagey about it but he did come out and say I've not had any discussions with anyone any club in MLS about returning so- yeah
4: and 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 in the thing is is I, I appreciate that from the players because you don't want to seem like you're – because it can very much seem like when you're looking at going to MLS, you, it seems like you're downgrading CPL. So I'm glad that he's doing that, whether it is somebody speaking to him or not. It's good that he's not being like, I want to get out of here. Yeah, I want to get out of here. Like like Freddie uh, here talking about Lucas Cavallini earlier, that, yeah, he wants to play in Europe. Yeah, I want to get – like uh, in Wang that wants to get out of here as soon as possible. So it's good that you, you're doing that. Yeah, I've, obviously players are going to be going – wanting to go to – you know, higher clubs like what Alfonso Davies. Obviously, he wanted to go. People, I had a cousin of mine who mentioned today. Oh, they should have kept him. I go, you can't keep a player like Alfonso Davies here in MLS, and you have to let him go because otherwise he was going to leave on his own. You like, there's no way you're going to keep him long term or anything like that, unless you like, you know, made sure that you know his parents, be, or his father became prime minister. That's the only way you were going to confirm, you know, confirm that he was going to stay in Canada or whatever. And so the the fact that he's doing that is good, and. I'm just excited that, you know, you know the Whitecaps won because of Kyle Beckerman, and, you know, maybe Kyle Becker, man, column man, is going to come into the Whitecaps. So it's, it's fantastic either way.
2: <laughs> yeah, Michael, it's an answer there where when a player says, I'm like, I haven't speak, spoken at any club. Obviously, that doesn't mean his people haven't spoken to to various people. That's or true, various, yeah. various 100% clubs. there, yeah. Um, but I agree with you, Steve. Too. It's good that he's shaping it or phrasing it in such a way that doesn't denigrate uh, the the Canadian Premier League, which is this growing, growing league. Uh, I I still don't think he. I don't. If Kyle Becker were to go to the Vancouver Whitecaps, I don't think that that would. I, I, it it doesn't really feel like it makes a, a whole ton of sense, um, but. Time will tell. In terms of Kyle Becker as an individual, yeah, I, 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 wonder where he's at. In terms of, does he just want to be at Forge and build a dynasty there with with mm. Bobby, someone he knows really well? Uh, yeah, I
1: wondered that too.
2: Yeah, or does he want to, um, you know, after this year or after next year, go somewhere else, whether that's on the continent or, uh, you know, so somewhere else in the world to to have a new footballing experience, as they like to say. Yeah,
1: I mean, I asked Bobby about Becker as well and he said he fully believes he can go and play at the higher level again. There's going to be a lot of questions about what should happen next in the CPL as well because the guys aren't going to be back in the pitch for six to seven months. We'll cover that in next week's show because I've got a lot of good audio round about that and about potential loan deals and various things about that as well. So we'll, we'll come to that. Let's just round up tonight's show by having a look at the nominees in the CPL for this year's Player of the Year Awards. So I don't know how much of this you guys actually both really got to watch, but the three Golden Glove nominees, Tristan Henry from Forge FC, Callum Irving from Pacific FC, and Christian Oxner from Halifax Wanderers. For me, I think you have to give it to Tristan Henry. He just had an absolutely outstanding tournament and a clean sheet in the final.
2: I agree (laughs) agree with you, Michael,
4: but uh, obviously my bias would say (laughs) Callum Irving. I'm I'm biased too. I'm I have no idea about this Hamilton Forge uh, keeper or whatever, so I'm I, I'm oh. going to go with Calum Irving. Oh. Under twenty-one player and expect expect the next few uh, categories to go a certain way as well.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking. Well, this next one, um, let's see who you pick. Under twenty-one player of the year, Julian Dunn, Valor FC on loan from Toronto, Chris Novich Sa, Halifax Wanderers and Mo Farsi from Cavalry FC. And Mo Farsi for me is the standout under-21 player. He was outstanding, and I really wouldn't mind the Whitecaps taking a look at him.
2: I I, I agree with you, Michael. I think he, he's probably most likely to win it. However, I think Dunn did a really good job uh, with Valor. Like, I know they didn't
1: dun, like, improve. Done,
2: Yeah, exactly. They didn't improve as much as, say, Halifax did as a squad, but but I they think improved. Valor, Valor improved and he took steps in the right direction. And yeah. I think
4: Dunn Dun was a significant part of that. I I kind of i am leaning towards Dunn
1: as well. I, I think I know who Steve will pick in this one. I think I know who Zach will pick in this one. Player of the Year. And it, the nominees are Marco Bustos, Pacific FC, Akim Garcia, Halifax Wanderers, Kyle Becker, Forge FC. Kyle
2: Becker's going <laughs> to win. But again, my heart says that Bustos did more to turn around Uh, Like, it was like Kyle Becker kept the ship going, kept it going steady and and to to another title. Whereas to me, uh, Marco Bustos took Pacific to another level and took his play to another level. Uh,
4: And and he's not going to win, but that's why I think he should. I think Kyle, uh, like Marco Bustos, if Marco Bustos take him away from that lineup, and I don't think Pacific does nearly as well as they did. He was on every goal. And we, we mentioned it before. I, I, I tweeted at you, Michael. That, you know that given goal could be a world record about that goal oh, that he yes. had against that, where it was the longest given goal goal in in, in, oh, soccer, in football history. Like he, I, I like I've never seen him work that hard. that's the amazing thing about it. So um uh, the, <laughs> the so so I I think he like the, if you take Kyle Becker off the Hamilton team. That might not. That, that team might still be okay to get going. Like they, they might be able to work around it or whatever. Because you got to get David Egger behind Cal Becker, uh, but Marco Bustos, boy, I the, the the what I've seen of him, I haven't seen before. So I think, I think, and the thing is the the fact that you have one soccer media mentioning him as a shout out for the national team. That should be. I don't know who votes on this, but if they're voting on it, then maybe it is Marco Bustos.
1: Well, for me. Going into today's final, if Halifax had won it, I would have given it to Akeem Garcia, who I thought had a good tournament, his goals led the way. But I feel with Halifax not winning it, you can't really give it to him. And I am actually picking Marco for the reasons that, that Zach said, because he basically turned this team around. And as Steve said, it was—it's not a one-man show, but he had so much contributions, goals and assists, and hands in the goals, and just leading the team. Well, wasn't he
4: in on like like, like eighty, ninety percent of the goals? I feel like I Probably. feel like he was. I feel like if you look back, he was on almost every goal.
2: I know. I know the game was meaningless to them and didn't change the fate for them, but the performance he put on in that five-nil game against Halifax was, yeah. It, it was one of the, I think, arguably the greatest individual performance
4: the CPL has seen so far. It brought a tear to my eye. I, I'm not, I'm not lying at all. I'm sorry. I'm. It brought a tear to my eye. The way he was playing and the way he brought, like it was like, I expected them to like kind of go half-assed, kind of in the game, but and you don't expect it with a Pog led team, but the way that he brought the team and. Was just pushing it, pushing it, pushing. It. I thought even after the third goal, maybe he'll let that go. But then he was involved in that fourth goal, and it was fantastic. So I, I know that's probably recency bias that I'm seeing Marco Bustos the way he played there. But you saw it in other games too. Hmm. The game against the last game against uh, Edmonton. And I know again, not a great team to play against, like um, talent wise. But that that late goal, utterly fantastic. Oh. So yeah, so yeah,
1: I, the goals goes the tournament.
4: For me, whether you call it, want to call it most valuable player or best player, it's Marco Bustos for me. I, I have no doubt in my mind. It, it, then the five nil. Did he score with his head and his right foot? He did score with his head. That first he goal. Scored?
2: Yeah, he scored and, with... it, and his second goal was his right foot. Oh, that like I think you're that, right on that as well. Yeah. And then his, I think the first assist was the outside of his left foot. Like, it, yeah, that assist yeah, it was, was just, some blind. It, it was a great
4: performance.
1: Yeah. I mean, it brought a tear to my eye. I think it did. It might also just have been the toxic smoke from the New West Pier fire, but. The last thing, coach of the year. You've got Bobby. You've got Stephen Hart at Halifax, and you've got Mister from Ottawa right. who beat out Parmiduca <laughs> in the in the voting.
4: <laughs> I think it's just because... Been- that ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> how did he? How did he get a nomination when there were so many visuals of him? Like, seemed like he was like he didn't want to be there. He didn't want. to... Like, I it, think it might actually be that
1: got the nomination. I might be a bit mixed up there.
4: Well, he got, more it, car, he got more cards, he got booked more. And then is gone. it because he's the DP
1: coach? <laughs> I think it's because just of what he had to face, putting the team together at short notice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think Pa should have been in there. I know why they picked Mr., but it should have been Pa. Who, who were the other two nominations? Uh, Bobby from Forge and Stephen Hart from Halifax. I hope See, Stephen Hart did, gets it. I,
4: I think Robin Gale would have been a better nomination yeah. than Mista. I think that that, that would have been better because he, he's improving his team so much. Yeah. I, I, I always look at his improvement. Like expansion teams, unless you're in the final, you should not be nominated because you everybody knows that that's your first year. But to see an improvement like Pacific had, like Halifax had with Stephen Hart, with uh, uh, the way Valor improved, I think those are the clear nominations. I, I Even Bobby, like, yes... I don't know if they voted this because they knew he was going to be in the final already uh, before they put these nominations out or not, but I, I, I even think that he was not even worthy of a nomination. I think it was those three that I mentioned before I should, I should have been nominated before, even
1: Bobby. I think I'd probably go with Stephen Hart just because of the, the turnaround that he did. And also, as I, I said on a few shows now, he's so much fun to speak to. When we're chatting about the championship canadian championship final and how tfc wanted it played in december or january he's like really and truly who wants to be playing soccer in canada in december (laughs) very true and in those words let's wrap up tonight's show so just before we go let everyone know where they can find you online
4: uh you can find me on twitter at whitecaps for me it's at zachary
2: am on in the twitterverse
1: You can find me on Twitter at AFTNCanada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Lots of white caps, lots of CPL stuff up on the site over the last week or so. We've got a lot more to come as well. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to go to our YouTube channel, AFTNCanada, give us a like and a subscribe and turn on notifications. Um, We probably won't do a a post-game show on Wednesday. But thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast we'll be back soon until then, thanks for listening take care and more on the back to back caps going to your first match is an experience you never forget the atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go wow I'd love to play here one day If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.